Hey everybody, what's up? It's Dave. I'm just going to do a little business here before we get started with the podcast. It's been a while since uh, I've released an episode and I've had a number of episodes in the can. After this episode today, I've got two more to edit. Life has just been throwing a lot of stuff at me lately and so I'm getting things done as I can. So these will keep coming out. I just have no exact idea what the frequency of releases will be, but hopefully we'll get onto a schedule where we can get these out more often. One thing that I did get done that I've been trying to do for a while was I got Miss Michael and Jerome to come in and do some voiceover recording for me. So it won't be just like a modulated version of my voice you hear in all the little in-between segments of the podcast. So before we dive into this new episode, let's hear one of those. And now, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of I've Known You Too Long is brought to you by McGregor Hauling and Removal. Have you got a bunch of stuff that you need to get rid of? You know the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You're moving out and you've got to get rid of all your extra clutter or an older relative is downsizing and they've got a house full of stuff that you have to help them deal with. Maybe it's a garage full of junk that you've been piling up or a storage unit packed with whatever that you've been paying on for years and you just want to get rid of it. Any scenario where you have stuff that needs to go away, McGregor Hauling and Removal can help you deal with it. They'll send a truck over with some guys to quickly and efficiently empty that space out for you. So in Seattle or the surrounding areas of the Pacific Northwest, give McGregor Hauling and Removal a call for a quote on your job at 206-636-3393. Again, that number is 206-636-3393. And say you heard about them on this podcast for 10% off your quote. If you prefer to contact them online, you can check them out at McGregorHauling.com. That's M-A-C-G-R-E-G-O-R Hauling.com. Or just send an email to info at McGregorHauling.com. And don't forget to mention that you heard about them on the I've Known You Too Long podcast for 10% off your quote. All right, that's the business to do before we get started. So as usual, go to nobody'snose.com, Check out the webpage for this specific episode to see photos and details and links about the episode beyond what we go into in the recording. So I guess uh, it's time. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the I've Known You Too Long podcast. I am sitting here today with someone I wasn't sure I was ever going to be able to get on this show, and I'm so excited that it happened. The reason why I thought this person was never going to be on the show is because they live on the opposite side of the earth from me, and it wasn't even a certainty that we would ever be in the same... Well, it's not hemisphere. It's just on the other side of the planet. Maybe it is the other. There's a word for it. There's an ocean. There's an ocean in between us. What's the word when it's when it's not the other the bottom half of the world, but it's just the other side of the world. It's not hemisphere, right? Well, it's flat, so it's not the catcher part of the world. It's the oh, part of the oh, world. I'm sorry. Wait, if it's flat, you're just far, far, far on the other side of a large round plane. Yes. Okay. Not a plane that you would take, but a plane like a level surface, mm-hmm. because it's a level surface straight from here to where you live. Exactly. Okay. So he's talking. So this is the guy I'm talking about. He's here. He came home. I managed to somehow find a way to get to where he was, and we are recording. It is Sean O'Leary. Hello, Sean. Hello, Dave. You seem very excited to be here. Oh, I love the podcast, so. <laughs> I do like, you do comment on the pod. You don't just comment on this podcast. You comment on my other podcast, which we don't mention quite as often, which is The Token Asian. Oh, I mean, I like to laugh, so. You said that you almost wrecked your car listening to that. Yes. Which is a huge compliment to me. Mm-hmm. 
and to uh, to Matt and his various neuroses. It's I know it was Matt that was making you laugh and not me, and that's fine. But I put it out so I still feel like I can be complimented. Oh, but sometimes the, you being the straight man is the what I don't know is is more funny than Matt because you're just trying to rein it in and actually get some coherent babble out of him. But I think it's fun that the thing that we just do in life comes off like I'm being the straight man. Like when we drive around in my car. <laughs> It's a better show than what gets recorded. Matt wants to do a thing called Token Asian Takeout, where we put camera... <laughs> you can laugh, right? The mic. <laughs> where we put um, GoPros in my car, and we just drive around the city, and Matt makes comments, and I basically talk him back off of them, and he calls it Token Asian Takeout. Do it. I really want to do it. But it's a it's more pricey than we can do So at the moment on our budget. Anyway, so the whole reason you're here is because I've known you too long. Yes. And you're not the person that said, first person that said that about me. My wife says it to me all the time. <laughs> well, that, that may not be, I mean, she doesn't do a show called that. So mm. that's sad. I need a sad clown noise. <laughs> morning zoo guy. <laughs> nope. Not oh, okay. We have a, we have a morning zoo guy in the room, but he's not, this isn't really a morning zoo show. He's, he's not there with the effects quite yet, but uh, you can't do a sad trombone. <laughs> there we go. I'll, wait, hold on. Let's do an isolated one so I can add it in when I ask for it. Pretty good. I won't use that on this show. I'll just use it in the token Asian. <laughs> that is Bill Baker, who is also in the room with us. He's done his own podcast episode, but he's also known Sean for a long time, and he's going to chime in at some point. So, Sean, mm-hmm. when do we meet? Well, I had the idea I was thinking about, because I know you're going to ask this question. I thought well, what we could do is, uh, you know, I count down three, two, one, and we just say, boop, and we say the place where we met. And okay. then, and I say, the year that we met. Okay, so I'm not going to get the year. And the place... I might even be wrong. The place is questionable. But when we met, there's a place that we're both going to remember. Absolutely. Okay, and it's... Three, two... Hold on, hold on. One. I'm just... How many... So I'm thinking about that. how many words it is. It's, oh. Okay, does that, does that agree with you? I'm doing... Okay, so let's say... You want to do countdown? Three, two, one? Okay. Three, two, one. Heather Stocks, Dyer's Ox, Attic. Garage. You got that the, was you got totally, the right. totally wrong. You, you said Doc right. Ock's Garage. I did. Which is where we put on shows in Bellingham. Yes. We met in Heather Dyer's attic. For real? Yes. That's kind of creepy. No, we, we didn't. We met at, I believe, Tony's Coffee. No, 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 no. no. I is, knew you before any no, Doc Ock no. show. Okay. This, this is a... <laughs> no, no. What, what this is, is the first time I went to Bellingham, before actually you know going to Bellingham with my family, because my aunt lives in Seattle. Okay. Um... It was with Kim Kinnikin and Ryan Scott. Okay. And Kim just phoned me up. There's a show. Would you want to go to a show? And I said, sure. And we went to Bellingham and there was a garage. And I'd never been to a garage show before. Okay. And this is where you're going to get the date because there was, there was an incident where there's a long haired dude. You know, he seemed like a nice guy, but all of a sudden he ran into the room and he got on the mic and he was yelling about something. And turns out that sort of tubby dude in a neurosis shirt had gone to the house next door and grabbed the Halloween candy that was being offered to people. He trick-or-treated and then ripped the Halloween candy out of the, some ladies. Like, or, or maybe he grabbed too many and the neighbors complained and things being what they are, the neighbors complaining about a hardcore show. Who was the guy with the long hair? Hmm? Who was the guy with the long hair? And I was just sitting there going, why is Kevin Staub all angry? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay. I'm not going... What, was, what bands played that day? Okay, um, I'm pretty sure a band that 
you were in Bull Goose Looney played? No. No? Well, you were A in... band that Bill and I were in played that day. Okay. Bull Goose Looney didn't play in Doc Ock's Garage. That was... Uh, was it Crumble? Crumble. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I ever met Bill until much longer after that. And, well, uh, you, I don't know that you met either of us that day, actually. Okay. Do you think that we met that day? Or you I'm, saw me that I'm day? I'm certain that Kim introduced us. And so let's be clear. You're saying I'm the guy yelling in the microphone. Yeah. I don't remember having a microphone. I thought I was on a half pipe outside screaming at everyone. See, and I, I don't, don't really remember this. People have brought this up to me over the years. I don't really remember yelling at everyone, yeah. but I know I yelled at everyone. Yeah. And it was, yeah, you were angry about the, the causing problems with the neighbors and, you know, the show might get shut down. And I don't like people looking at me mm-hmm. in crowds. Yeah. Like, so the idea that I did that willingly angry really freaks me out a little bit. I mean, you're and right. I don't totally remember. I don't, I can't remember a word well, I said. I remember people telling me what you had said and what had happened. I'm like, oh, that guy's right. So, oh, well, that's nice. So you met me angry. No, no, no. Because I had met you. I was introduced to you, and I'm like, oh, that, that guy. That guy seems nice. I, so did did I very... meet you after you got angry or before you got angry? I don't. That I don't clearly remember. Okay, so here's why I said Heather Dyer's attic. Uh-huh. Because, and I may be mixing up meeting you for the first time with meeting Parge for the first time. Okay, and. I think what happened was we were at Tony's Coffee in mm-hmm. Fairhaven. Yeah. That's a place you know. Yes. Okay. So you've been there, yeah. which means you've been there with me. Uh-huh. And Jessica Latham was someone I had just met. Uh-huh. And she was there. Heather Dyer was there. You were there. I don't know if Kim was there, but Parge was there. Yeah. And we all went back to Heather's house. And for some reason, we decided to climb up in the attic of that house and we were playing some kind of word game, like say your name. Like there were a bunch of people there that didn't really know each other. Yeah. And it wasn't a party. It was just people hanging out. Mm-hmm. And do you remember we were doing say your name and was, something you like? It was. And I think they had the because of the word that I picked, there was something to do with alliteration. You said, my name is Sean and I'm a schweener. Or, I like schweening. I like schweening. Yeah. Now, and, listen, that's actually the first thing I remember. Really? Okay. But it, like I said, it might be thrown off because I met Jessica that night. Or I think I met her that day, uh-huh. and we met Parge for sure. I don't think I knew him at all. But there was also, do you remember the other weird situation that happened in that attic? There were two things. We claimed we started the revolution. <laughs> all right. The, that is true. You there's, do remember there's a, that, there's right? A, there's a callback for that. There's a callback? And I'll, I'll get to that. No, <laughs> we, not a, a callback. We, we, we decided we, that we had such a weird group of people, and we had done something so strange, uh-huh. and we'd all become friends on the spot. So we decided that was basically the same as starting a revolution. I've called various things revolutions over the years, and I don't even know that I'm the one that said it this time. But um, so I do remember I always felt like I met you at the start of the revolution. And it was this whole like getting to know you game that went on that sounds much sketchier than it was because it was fairly innocent. Yeah. Someone who you were with pulled up their shirt and showed that they had a third nipple. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a third nipple. Do you remember this? Absolutely. Do you remember what happened next? Did somebody touch it? No. I Well, maybe someone did. Not me. Because uh, that was freaky. I'd never seen such a thing, right? Mm. But so everyone was like, whoa, that... I, I felt like no one had ever seen someone with a third nipple before, other than maybe you, who already knew. Mm. He'd actually never shown it to me, but I didn't know about it. Oh, he just heard about it. So that was a real bold thing for him. Uh-huh. I'm not naming him. <laughs> I don't think it would be blowing it's, up his... It's not fair. But... There was another guy who none of us really knew who was with somebody else in the room. Uh And they went, hey, guys. And they pulled up their shirt and they had one, too. Okay. So in a group of like eight people in this attic, one dude like 
revealed his like secret that he had a third nipple and then one of the uh, pulled up his shirt and he had one also and i've never it was the beginning of an incredibly surreal time in my life all right and well, you were there for it well I'm, I'm glad i was there for that so while you may have been around at things that you know i'm sorry if i don't remember that night when i was screaming because i was probably so embarrassed afterwards uh-huh. that i just everything blanked out right but i definitely remember you like strongly solidly remember you from the night in Heather Dyer's attic. All right, yeah. And, uh, well, that, that was actually a time when Parts and I hitchhiked down to Bellingham, specifically, probably. We were both single. We're like, hey, there, here, there's girls in Bellingham. I think we were just trying to, like, I don't know. Oh, so you totally did what you intended to do. You went to the coffee shop, mm-hmm. Tony's in Bellingham, which, yeah. by the way, you went to the right place. Yeah. And you met up with a table of girls. I just happened to be sitting there mm-hmm. and said, hey, let's go do something. Let's go back to your house. <laughs> I don't think those are the words that were said. I think maybe there was an invite rather than, but. No, there was probably an invite. Yeah. But because you were making a good impression. You had a bit of an accent. You were saying funny Canadian things. I hope so. No, you were. (laughs) Definitely. And I'm like, it kind of, if I remember right, it was like everyone on the table got up and then somehow we picked up a couple stragglers, which is where this other guy came from, I think. One question about that coffee shop, because you buy one coffee and it was bottomless and that place was full of people. Did that place go bankrupt? It's still weeks. open. Really? Yeah. Do they still have that policy of bottomless coffee for any hippie? There were all kinds of times where they would try to, they had to tread a careful line there because they didn't want to lose all those people. Yeah. It was the place to go, right? Oh. It was Tony's Coffee. But at the same time, they didn't want a hundred punks hanging out in the courtyard. So I think they did end up instigating like a, you have to buy something, but then what you could buy was bottomless coffee. Right. And they put a fence around the, the... So there was an outside seating area. So as soon as it was spring and summer in Bellingham, that place was... For maybe a year of my life, I would just get off work and just go to Tony's. Like, there would be people hanging out and get involved in some asinine conversation. Or just run into someone I hadn't seen for years. Yeah. So for me, that's where I that's where I remember meeting okay. you. Now, say the year. Like, three, two, one. Oh, hold on. Can we do that again? Okay, do three, two, one again. Three, two, one. Ninety one. Okay, good. For sure. Well, I know for sure. I, that... I have ways of, of gauging that that are just embarrassing. And I'm not going to say that on the podcast. I mean, yeah. Because I moved to Vancouver in 1991 and I met people in the hardcore scene in Vancouver in around March, April and May and made friends with them over the summer and then, you know, got involved in putting on shows with the Just Quest co-op, which is the thing that Kim started up. And that's when we, you know, oh, come to Bellingham with us. So that, I think that was October. Pretty sure. Certainly Bill, what show happened? In October in Bellingham that was close to Halloween. Was it October 29th? Was it Bar Shock? Yeah, it was the Bar Shock show, I believe, because the regular Garage Shock always took place over Halloween weekend. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. Who else played? It was supposed to be Far, not Far Cry. Was it uh, it the Born Against show? No, No, it wasn't Born Against, Downcast, and Rorschach, which happened in that same garage. Right, in the same month almost, I think, too. And it wasn't Sub Society. You know that might be what it is, because um, I I remember that name. for. But what I remember most specifically, that might have been 1007 playing. I know I've seen 1007 there. It might have been, there was a 1007 Undertow show there. Yeah, but that's for sure. That was my second show there. And it would have been, so if if our bands played, it would have been Crumble. Um, no, we were called Fragment at the time. Or Fragment. Whatever, whatever <laughs> Crumble to Fragment. we were given at any given moment. Yeah. But it would have been a smaller show. Was that also the show that the band with Scott Keith played uh, and Greg Anderson? No, no. That wouldn't have been. But there's that one thing the that... Pain's no. Gray show or... Let me say the no, one. I, failure or whatever they were called. No. 
And I don't know, did that happen? Did Greg play in that garage? Yes. I've never seen Greg play in the garage. But, however, well, the one thing but that sticks fine. in my... The like, one reference that sticks in my mind is that the first band that we saw... Anger them, Means. Okay. Anger Means played that show. They played the Bar Shock show. Okay, I'm just remembering the flyer. Go on. Oh, okay, okay. The, um, the, I, I really believe it was a bunch of local bands. And, and, yeah. And there's one band that sticks out and, because the drummer was really, really good and he was just a young kid. He might have been in high school still. And... He, I was I was really into the Bad Religion No Control record at the time, and that that drum beat, boom, and he was really good at that beat. Oh. And he also had a white shirt with the handwritten Greg Graffin on it. Mike Mitchell. <laughs> that was probably Mike. That was a guy in our band, right? Okay, Mike Mitchell. Yeah. Okay, so get, I'll give him on this podcast one of these days. That's going to be a trip. It's going to be fun. I have photos. I think of Mike in that shirt. I have photos up on I believe on on the page for your podcast, Bill Baker, that have us at that show. So there's probably already pictures up from the show. I'm probably in one of them. Hold on a second. Let's pause for a minute. All right. So what we do is once we determine where it is, and I think we've come close enough, I'll agree with you that we met at that show Mm -hmm. and that, which is probably Bar Shock 91, Mm -hmm. but that because of what was going on in my head, I don't remember it as clearly. But I do definitely remember a whole event with you shortly thereafter. Yeah, and that would probably have been in... I came down the first time in October, probably came down in November with Parge. We hitchhiked down. This sounds right. All right. So what I want to know, as I always want to know on this show, is what put you in my orbit or what put me in your orbit? Why did we come together in some way? What happened in your life that made you grow into this person that would have met me? Okay, well, you, you're who talk, are you? You're talking about my connection to the hardcore scene specifically. I want to go all the way back. We'll come okay. up to your connection to the hardcore scene. Cool. Where born, are you from? I'm from. I was born uh, a five minute walk from this house we're in right now. This is the Vancouver General Hospital. Oh, we're on Oak Street in Vancouver. Yeah, Oak and Twentieth and the VGA or not Vancouver General. Uh, it's a BC Women's Hospital, BC Children's Hospital rather, which used to be called Grace Hospital in 1971. Okay. And lived at 8217 Patterson Avenue, which is right, Patterson Marine, near, near the Krishna Temple that has had hardcore shows. Okay. And uh, lived there till I was 11 years old. Um, and to reference how that brings me to being involved in hardcore music is that some of my earliest memories are of, of just music. My, my father had a really uh, eclectic record collection, lots of classical music, lots of uh, Beatles, lots of Grateful Dead and things like that. And you know, he always had CBC radio on, and one thing that would just come on passively through the, the speakers of the CBC was the, the show uh, Brave New Waves, which is extremely influential in the Canadian independent music scene. And uh, so I would get exposed to all these things, and I'd be like, I don't know, nine. And I'm like, Dad, what is that? And he said, that's oh, a band called Black Flag. Like, I heard, the first time I ever heard the words Black Flag was out of my dad's mouth. <laughs> and then he had some, he had a few fascinations about, like, with the, Iggy Pop and things like that. He'd sure. Be, he'd read about Iggy Pop in the music. He'd always get Rolling Stone and things like that. And he's like, well, this guy jumps in the audience and rubs peanut butter all over himself. And that's very strange. And he's telling you this in your nine and you're just like nodding along like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, was just, and I felt myself kind of drawn to weird things. And also there was a, what you call it, a cable access that we used to watch late at night when I was a kid. Um, and I can't remember the name. I do remember a uh, sort of a independent uh, comedy show called Psychic Horror Wrestling. Psychic Horror Wrestling. Psych- yeah, it was it was pro wrestling, but the guys were standing next to each other and like like doing ESP rays on each other. But the, oh, so they that, never actually wrestled; they just mind fought. Kind of, yeah. 
That's was, a good show. It's stupid as hell. But what they do is they play videos, and I'd see the Ramones, and I'd see XTC, and um, going back and becoming actually a big XTC fan currently, but I thought that making plans for Nigel was like, well, this is really intense. because And you are an XTC fan currently? Yeah, I love XTC. And so they're playing. They're playing these like homemade cardboard guitars, and they're breaking them. Like, what are these guys doing? Oh my god! And so I've always been kind of like fixated on like, there's got to be something more than Toto and Journey, even though I love Journey. Um, I yeah, know. no, it's fine. Um, a lot of people would say they love Journey. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I've just always been interested in that. And so from there, when I was eleven, we moved to Vernon, and I was kind of Vernon is a city in the Okanagan, and. I didn't have any friends. It was kind of an outcast. And Okanagan, that's east of Vancouver. How many hundred miles? Uh, four hundred, maybe. Uh, and we, we've we've had a cabin there since nineteen sixty nine. Okay, so you just went from nine to eleven, and now you're moving on. Because I am going to stop you. Sure. <laughs> so what I need to do though is I need to know a little bit more about you as a child. Okay. Okay. I want to know what you were like in grade school. Now, as a Canadian, I want just I don't want to say the wrong thing. Do you call it grade school here, or is it primary school? I think it's primary school. And what ages are you in primary school? Uh, kindergarten's. F- uh, I was in preschool at four. Uh, kindergarten at five. Then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven is elementary. Do you remember all those years? Yeah, clearly. Um, clearly. When do you start remembering your life? Um, my first memories actually of being maybe eighteen months old, and we had two basset hounds, and they were tied to the clothesline uh, in our backyard, and I was kind of scared of them, even they were the most docile dogs in the world, and I was just like. My sister was over there, and I'm like, eh, help me. And the dogs never did anything, but I was not having... So your first memory is calling for help to be rescued from dogs? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. Friendly dogs. Oh Yeah, yeah, they're great. And then, okay, so you remember all that time well. Yeah. Did you listen to music when you were that young? Or does do you start with music when you're nine, like you mentioned? No, no. Like, uh, like I said, my dad had this huge record collection, and I think my first memory of music is like stuff like... They're coming to take me away, away to the funny farm. Oh, you he was listening to crazy stuff. Yeah, well, my, well, uncle, crazy, my, my but... uncle lived with us at the same. My uncle, Lorne, he's uh, about probably 15 years younger than my mom. And when he moved out of the house, he lived with us for a while. And he had some crazy stuff. Um, it's like Dr. Demento stuff? Yeah, and he was also a big Chicago fan. Like he, So we had the first Chicago Transit Authority record in the house all the time. It's got some crazy, like, Jimi Hendrix-esque stuff on it. If you've never heard that record, it's kind of strange. I don't know that I have. Yeah, There's one old Chicago song that I know before the Peter Cetera era, and it's the one everyone knows. Uh, which, what, 25 or 6 to 4. Yeah, no, Chicago did some really like left-wing, kind of almost like a lot of anti-Nixon stuff. Oh. You should really look for the song, um, a song for Richard and his friends live at Carnegie Hall. And it's just like, hi, we're, we're going to play a song now, hoping Richard Nixon will quit. And they were quite, <laughs> they were quite political at that time. Anyways, uh, but the, the thing, the first thing I heard. So was, you're saying that kind of Chicago was kind of the pussy riot of America. Yeah, maybe. Let's just with a we'll horn just, section. We'll stick that quote <laughs> at the top of something. I think there are people that were more radical than wait, Chicago. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. I make that statement on your behalf, and you clarify by saying with a horn section. Does pussy riot not have a horn? So what, I don't understand. No, I just feel like you should have objected more. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, another thing that really sticks in there is uh, Sgt. Pepper. Like, my dad would put that on, and I'm like, whoa, this, these guitars don't sound like guitars. They sound like magic things that go bing, bing, bing. And I, just, I, had a, I had that experience. We ended up, for some reason, with that record in our house in grade school. I brought it to my music class at uh-huh. Alderwood Elementary, and mm-hmm. the teacher played it. Because yeah. I think the teacher was just excited that it was some rough Beatles. Yeah. 
and we also we also watch a lot of Saturday Night Live in our house. So um, the B-52's record made it into our house, and the the first the Rock Lobster and all that was really big. Okay, so you liked Goofy. Yeah, I like the Knack too. I still love the Knack. Yeah, what's their other song? The My Sharona. No, that's not what I asked you. What, what's the other song? Yeah, a Good Girls Don't. Oh, there is another song. Uh, that's what the that's what the little girls do. <laughs> so there's is there wait is there three songs? How many songs are there? Uh, they've got that people actually know. I I think it's My Sharona, Good Girls Don't, and oh, Your Number or Your Name. There there were some hits on that first record. Canadian hits because we had My Sharona in America. Can can you tell me? No, I can't. Did you listen to Chilliwack? Mm, they're on the radio. But you didn't. You my, didn't like them. My dad went to school with two of the guys in Chilliwack. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought I really liked Chilliwack when I was a kid, but that's because I just knew about them, and yeah. I was a grade school kid. And I thought, you know, it was. I thought it was a cool sounding name. There's only one band named after a city that works, and that's Boston. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is Chilliwack number two? Chilli- uh, the other ones just don't even. They don't. Even, they don't. Ra- there's they no don't scale. Even chart, no. Even okay. Chicago. I'm sorry. I didn't even know that I. I had a comment, a snide comment to make about my. Sh- or what was the band? The knack. <laughs> I didn't know I had a snide comment to make about the knack until you brought him up. We might have to fight if you do. <laughs> no, I, I love the knack. I remember really liking that song. I uh, roller skated to that song a lot you when should. I was in grade school. Yeah. That was a roller rink type song. It's got one of the most badass guitar solos that has ever been recorded, and. The, the, the sad thing about it is the radio version, they, they edit it out because it's really, oh. really long. I would probably not like them if I knew if I knew the real version. You don't like guitar You song? can't add a guitar solo to anything and make it better for me. <laughs> Leads. <laughs> you're going to have to agree to disagree on we, that. Oh, we absolutely can. This isn't, this isn't a podcast about I have good musical taste because I don't. But <laughs> I know what I like, though, and I've never been a big guitar solo fan. Yeah. You're have, you're a guitarist though. Yeah. Okay. All right. By the way, I just want to let everybody know that I am not alone in this room. There are three other people in this room, and in the last, I would say, two minutes, I got some of the darkest, angriest looks I've ever had from these people that I've known. Except they don't know this intern, and that made it weirder because this Canadian kid just like stared daggers at me. So I know I'm alone in this world. I don't really like guitar solos. I think they're like musical masturbation. I was just thinking still about how Tarantino wanted to use My Sharona for a specific scene in Pulp Fiction because he thought it was a good beat to uh, match the visuals that were going on on the screen, but I won't elaborate. You, what do you mean you won't elaborate? Well, he said it was a good butt-fucking-beat. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows that. Well, just saying. <laughs> and it does just kind of trapped in that thought for a moment. Thanks, Bill. I'm actually glad I know that now. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm, and by the way, you did what you're supposed to do. You pulled us back into safe territory for me. Thanks. Thank you. So you're in grade school. Mm-hmm. You're listening to music. Yeah. And it's just like radio music, what they're playing up here. Um, what other kinds of things did you do in grade school? Did you have anything that you like gravitated toward? Were you a sports kid? Were you... Um, was, did I, you get in trouble a lot? I hated sports. I've always hated, especially team sports, because I'm not a very coordinated person, and I just generally don't get along with people, except maybe on a one on a small group. But working as a team is something I've never been really good at. <laughs> right on. Um, and I'm just very uncoordinated. And all my uncles were like really, really excellent hockey players, and I could never pick that up. So I was just like, well, I can't, I can't shine in the eyes of the family. So I just get into riding bikes and like. 
um, climbing trees and doing stuff like that and making forts with my friend Todd Jonas across the street. You were into making forts. I mean, yeah, making forts. We'd, we'd build a lot of things with cast off wood. Like my dad does a lot of woodwork, so we would just make stuff. Okay. And tree forts, forts in the yeah, like yeah. in the ground. Like yeah. my dad built us a really awesome two story tree fort, and uh, we would play up there a lot. I'd fall asleep in there, and my mom was like, "Where's Sean?" And you know, and you'd be lost in the tree fort. Yeah. Did you hide things in the tree fort? No, no, we didn't do that. But uh, one time, I think we went up to the top floor, and my cousin Ron, who was grew up in Federal Way, uh, I think smoked a cigarette in there at one point when we were young. Okay. And I was like, "We're gonna get in trouble." And so. But but he got away with it. I well, I didn't tell him. All right. I do think if you're going to have a tree fort, like something has to happen. Like mm-hmm. you've got to have some kind of life experience there. Yeah. All right. So before we get you completely out of grade school, because I really like to like make sure I get all the angles, because sometimes something will come out later. I'll be like, "Don't you realize you said this happened?" Mm-hmm. Um. So what about like, did you have like girlfriends? Were you that kind of a kid? Um. Not really. I think I was a fairly hyperactive child. I think that's something I've re- realized a little bit more in my, like, I'm looking back on my childhood now, I think that a lot of my behavior, any social problems I might have is from kind of a hyperactivity disorder and like, I don't know, maybe, maybe ADHD or something. But because I remember being taken to a specialist named Dr. Chu and I was supposed to draw pictures and then he talked to my parents about what I draw and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I so you weren't, that wasn't in the picture back then when you were a little kid. Cause some people, you know, some people definitely like are doing like all kinds of like romance type stuff in grade school, which is no. so funny to me, especially when you think about what kids are like now, they're just such babies. No, no. Like I was actually like, I was, I think I was girls are you until I was maybe even 14. Like, okay. Yeah. So no, I never got into any of that stuff. What about fighting? Fighting? Um, I got in a lot of fights with the guy I said across, lived across the street, Todd Jonas. Oh wait, uh, the friend that you built stuff with, you also fought with. Yeah, because wonderful. Yeah, he was kind of a, kind of a bully, and I don't like being bullied. So like, we got in a few fights. Um, Did he think you were a bully? Hmm. No, he he didn't think I was a bully. He, he thought, knew he was the bully. Uh, no, he 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 knew he was the bully, but but I was I was definitely like I was a fairly smart kid. I was like all A's until maybe about grade six, and so he's like, you always use big words. Why do you have to use word? big words so much i'm like i don't know it's the words i know and like my mom's a teacher so i, I guess he his parents were just fairly working class and like nice people but i just had a larger vocabulary and i don't know kind of word on my sleeve i guess and i don't think it was ever any conscious effort to bully him through intellect but did you know him when he got older no no because we moved away and uh i don't know i've always hated smoking and i think i, went, I saw him again we came down and visited when i was 13 and he started smoking and i'm like Right. I just think he moved to America, became a citizen, and voted for Trump. Well, no, he did move to Alabama, actually. Okay. And he, okay. So, yes, we're just going to say that's what happened because yeah. even as a child, he was mad at people for using big words. Mm-hmm. Fuck people like that. Yeah. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to see him again and see how it turned out. <laughs> really? No, honestly, like, like we were good friends, and, but we, we argued a lot. We were six. We were seven. We were yeah, what are you going to do? Okay. But you still built forts together. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. There's that. You always have that. But he did have a dog named Killer who shit all over the yard. And one day he made me walk in dog shit. And he made you walk in he's it? Like, he's like, come here. I got to show you something. Oh, and he's like, close your eyes. Close your eyes. And he's holding from me from behind. And he's like, oh, stop there. I'm like, all right, what? He's like, open your eyes. Look at your foot. I'm like, oh, you... <laughs> <laughs> that's Yeah, well, I'm getting thumbs up from the well, peanut gallery. Here. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty good move, actually, for a kid. That's not bad at all. But he. Uh, it seems like it was a little traumatic for you, though. Yeah. Well, it was traumatic, and like 
he I, I don't know it was, just, it was just shit so you know i got over it pretty quickly but uh, i want i i didn't swear because i was brought up catholic and to the point where up until maybe about grade eight i, I didn't swear because i thought jesus was going to get angry with me so you were so religious you were brought up so religious that you were you didn't want to swear no. no Catholic and religious ain't the same thing? No, no, no. My family was religious and I, I sort of believed and sort of didn't. Even when I was age four, like, this kind of sounds like horseshit. But there's the fear of it. Like, there's a lot of fear of, like, if you do bad things, there's a direct consequence. And so, the, uh, yeah, I, I didn't swear until I mean, he, okay. he, he, he was six and he knew all these swear words. I'm like, don't say that. <laughs> And his mom heard me saying, if you say that, God's going to get angry. And she was just laughing at me. I'm like, what? This is what we learned at my school. Because I went to Catholic school, St. Francis. But were your parents big? Was your dad big into that? No, my my, my dad, is. he calls himself a Catholic sympathizer. My, mom, oh, okay. my, my mom's a Catholic school teacher. So. Oh, all right. Because, I mean, I think it's interesting. Now, I didn't have a lot of experience with Catholicism. Mm -hmm. We were Lutheran and then Pentecostal, like Holy yeah. Roller Church. So, yeah. you know, that Catholic kids could have like rock music. Yeah. That was no problem in your house, but swearing was bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I think that it's a little big influence of my grandmother. Like, my mom's mom is really not into anything foul language and really big on manners and stuff like that. Really strict. Like, great lady, but, like, kind of hard to be around when the, the rules are so strict. Did you see yourself as kind of like a Cyrano de Bergerac guy where, like, you knew the smarter word to, like, insult the person? <laughs> is that... No, no. They didn't? No? No, I just... I, I just In that situation, I would use words that I knew and naturally because i knew them and i read a lot of books and uh he didn't know those words and so he thought i was making fun of him i'm like no i'm just it was innocent so okay so then you then you move what well, yeah. did were you in grade school when you moved how old were you when you actually went to vernon i was 11 we stopped grade five and my my, my dad worked in the lumber he first worked in a particle board mill down on marine drive in burnaby and then he, uh, we, we, we had that cabin in the, in the Okanagan. The Okanagan's beautiful. It's kind of a lot like Italy. This, uh, this wine country and orchards and stuff. It's really beautiful. And it doesn't rain like it does in Vancouver. And my dad was born in Vancouver and he just hated the rain. So we moved up to the Okanagan when I was 11 and, uh, started school there and starting a new school in grade six. So you started school, which is, was it junior high? No, no, that would still be elementary. So, oh, elementary. Yeah. Okay. And and I really didn't like the school, and the people really didn't like me, and it was quite quite gnarly. So, oh, yeah. was it a bunch of Dukabor kids? No. Were you living out by the Dukabors? No, that's that's Kimberly, I believe. Kimberly is was, that even further? Yeah, that's sort of you know you know BC has the the sort of like diagonals thing on the right side. Okay, Kimberly's down in the corner somewhere. Right, and that would be like the corner of Washington State. Kind of yeah, that's the Kootenays. Oh, okay, that's yeah. where those Duke. I, I'm I'm obsessed. A little bit with the Dukabors. Oh, because they're weird nudist uh, Christians. Weird nudist stabby people. What? Well, there's a, there was a lot of stabbing on. Uh, there was a lot of murder on the Dukabor, uh, like in their town, in their village or villages. I don't know how many there were. In in Canada or in the in the in, the, the... in Canada, but they they were outwardly. So, in my readings of the Dukabors, <laughs> I have found that uh, amongst themselves, they took care of stuff. Weird. Yeah. So I apparently they had a real violent crime rate, but not to outsiders. They protested nude in the plains in the cold. There's old pictures you can find. Wow. Do you know that they did mass nude protests? In I knew your about the I knew about the nudity, but I didn't know I didn't know it was a protesting. I thought it was just like a hippie thing. I thought they were weird hippie Christians. No, they protested nude against like the government. Okay. I, this and is then something. there was a there was a store there was a song called "Do as the Dukabors Do." 
I was hoping kind of that, that you would be close enough to them that you would have had new information about the Duke of Boris for me. My degree is in Canadian history and I don't even know about this. <laughs> I, I'm into them because there was a thing where they came across the border and fought a fire in like 1915 in Washington. Really? And a couple of them found a hidden treasure that was never again found because it was like covered up in like a fire. Wow. And it was two Duke of Boris firefighters that found it. And it's still considered to be like a Washington State miss, like lost treasure. Is it like Lake Chelan area? No. No, upper, like up by the border, the northeast corner of Washington. Oroville, maybe? Gold Creek. No, even further. Like, mm. it's like if you go to Spokane and then go all the way north. Okay. Um, like Creston. Well, we Bill and I kind of went out there, but we only got to Creston. We didn't, we would have had to have gone a lot further to get to the part I'm talking about. I think it's called Gold Creek. Hmm. My father's super into the story. He told me the story many times over the years. And this, it's a thing, man. It's something for me to research at a later date. Cause... Well, cool. So I was hoping. I, you know, when you said you had a problem with these kids, I was just imagining that you were like fighting this little Duke of Bora gang on the. <laughs> no, no, it was <laughs> more like well, we we moved into Catholic school, and like at, at the time, my dad didn't have a job, so we, we weren't very rich, and my, you know, my clothes didn't look really nice, and, uh, and if you have if you're in a Catholic school in Vernon, you're you're almost certainly uh, fairly well off or high upper middle class, yeah, kind of person, and so it was kind of a rough couple of years, but okay. So, um, and you're in Vernon. So I've, I want to let people know I've been handed a couple of pages of questions by someone who knows a little bit about you. I don't know what these questions are, but I was told. I don't know how I found out so much. I was told that I needed to ask one of these questions once we got to Vernon. So cool. here it is. Uh, it says, ask him about the bun weirdo. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think I just spit on you. Um, no, the bun, the bun weirdo is actually that. That's a uh, that's a guy from Kelowna, actually. Is it Bun Weirdo? Yeah, it's Kelowna. No, it's Bun Wacko. Oh, Bun Wacko. Yeah, yeah. And well, you, that's clarifying. There's there's a YouTube uh, video from CHBC News in Kelowna, and there's a guy I know. His his name was Sandy Plotnikov, but he had it legally changed to Sandy Ego. And uh, it's a guy we used to skate with in Kelowna, and he's just one of the Kelowna guys. And he's kind of he, he ended up being like a North Vancouver guy. Like there's a there's a North Van skate crew like mm-hmm. people like around rob sluggo boys and all those guys and believe it or not these are names i know okay and what's the other guy uh moses itkonen i think is part of that he's don't think i knew that guy i knew some of them by face and some of my name uh, as young as colin mckay colin mckay was in that too and mm-hmm. i think he was ended up being somewhat friends with him okay but this is this the thing he's kind of a he's an artist he's a, a visual artist and he's done gallery shows in vancouver but when he lived in Kelowna, there were more pranks than do you know the research prank pranks book yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite pieces of literature. It's, and we knew him. And so we saw this thing on the news and we're like, no, that's got to be Sandy because we knew him. We lived in Vancouver and this happened in about 1991. What he did is he took, there's a, a city sponsored Easter egg hunt and they put the Easter eggs out at night, the city workers. And mm-hmm. he went at night and took every single Easter egg <laughs> from the park with a bunch of friends. And then. <laughs> I can't tell the story without laughing. No, you can laugh. It's he, fine. He dumpster dived a thousand little crusty rolls <laughs> and then printed out in like, uh, um, whatever, uh, what's the font? Uh, the, the, the regular Mac font. Uh, it, 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 just the word bun. And, and then he pinned it to the bun. And so he put them all over the park in place of the Easter eggs. And so when people showed up for the, the damn Easter egg hunt, there were no eggs, just <laughs> buns with pins in them. And I guess it was a, like a thing. That, there's not a malicious bone in this guy's body. He's not a bad person. It's just like, how am I going to fasten these things to these bones? What if it rains? I can't use glue. Oh, I'll just use pins. 
not thinking that, you know, you're, when your mom checks your Halloween candy, she's checking for pins that you're going to chew on. And so the police and the news took it really, really seriously. Like, because someone was hiding food with pins in it that yeah. could hurt the kid's mouth. The, the only intent with the pins was to make sure that the word bun was affixed to the bun so the kids knew that it was a bun. But then he also put <laughs> signs with arrows and buns all over the damn Okay. So that, wow. So that was one question of, oh, it looks like, oh boy. That's it a, looks like 10 questions on that's here. That's a Kelowna thing. Um, <laughs> that's but a yeah. Kelowna thing that wasn't Vernon. Yeah, but you can YouTube. That that story is on YouTube. Oh, so this is, okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll get that on your page. There's a page associated with these yeah. podcasts yeah, at yeah. nobody'snose.com. Yeah. And uh, go look at it and we'll find a link if we can. And gotcha. we'll put a lot of these things that Sean is talking about. We'll get them up on there. Oh, dear. Okay, so look, you're in Vernon, mm-hmm. you're sixth grade, it's bad, you're not getting along with the kids. Uh, what happens up to that? Um, well, I, that's that's around the time that, um, one of the things I really remember, but when we first moved to Vernon, is that uh, much music started up. Much music? We we didn't have any access to MTV, so I'd Wait, never... so that's Canadian MTV, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, we, if we, if you got the really, really expensive pay TV, maybe you could have got MTV, but no, we, we I had no ex- access to... I don't know when Headbangers Ball started up, but so let me tell you something about Much Music. Sucks. No, it's no, not. No, no, no. It's not that. But I don't think there's in my mind there's almost nothing that sounds more Canadian than Much Music, and the reason is is because no person other than a Canadian ever said Much Music to me, so I always heard it in a Canadian accent. Also, I think there was a fight in the boardroom where they were like, well, "Why can't we call it Many Musics <laughs> or Multiple Music?" Did it have to be an M? They were going for an M M&M, and M, sort of an alliteration What's this thing. Much all a boot. It's just <laughs> see nobody ever does that right though. It's not a boot. It's a boot. Uh. It's like an. It's not an O O T. It's an E U T. Listen, and and so that's more. Wait a minute, but hold on. Are you telling me that it's going to sound the same across your entire vast land? Because well, we don't sound the same on the west coast well, as we do on the east coast. Actually, we we say about in Vancouver, but people in Toronto say about, and it's even more. It's more of like an Irish thing on the. So river. you're saying there's nowhere where they say a boot. Because they literally make fun of a boot on Letterkenny, which is a big show for you Canadians up here. Well, you're not a Canadian anymore, are you? Well, I, th- I, th- I think of Toronto as being fairly dominant in our culture, and that the, 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 in Toronto it's more of a about, about... Does Toronto set the accent? I don't think so, because, I don't know. I was excited there for a minute. I thought I learned something. I just, I don't think anybody in Canada, in Canada actually says a boot. Is Letterkenny a Canadian show? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. But only Americans that I, I know know about it. All my Canadian friends don't know about it. Yeah, I, and they I, have access to it. We have to bootleg it. I could be wrong, man. I'm, I don't know if you'll be here long enough. When do you go home? Uh, I go home on the fourth. Oh, maybe you will be here long enough so you're to. Uh, we, we bootleg it. What's that? What'd you just say? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Peanut Gallery uh, said something. That one fizzled out. <laughs> the one fizzled out. Yeah, it blew up on the pad. <laughs> but I didn't even hear what... The thing about it is, is that, like, <laughs> my hearing my hearing kept me from hearing that, Bill, but I have it recorded. I'll be able to go back and find out what it was. I, I, I said, so you mean we boat-leg it? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> boat-leg it. Okay. Well, when I get back, uh, I can boat-leg it. So, <laughs> check out check out yeah letter kenny it's I've a been, lot of I've fun been, i've been meaning to i'm just really busy so um okay so much music much music and that means you start hearing other yeah and one thing that w- was really 
really perked me up is the Twisted Sister We're Not Gonna Take It video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I remember. Because that's a, one, that's a great song. And two, it's a pretty good record. Don't they have a couple of good records? Stay Hungry is a great record. What about the one before? I self titled, right? Don't know. Uh, it's can't you can't stop rock and roll. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Thank I, you for correcting me. And they've actually got a lot of stuff before that. They've been a band since like 1972, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a documentary about them. It's not very good, but it's got the history of Twisted Sister. Anyways, um, I liked Twisted <clears throat> Sister. There's that, and uh, then the Motley Crew looks that kill video. And uh, I, we, I remember being in grade seven, maybe, and going to what they called the video bath. The video bash. The video bash was put on by some, I don't know, promoter. And uh, it was just rock videos were the big thing. So they, they put up a big screen. It was a, like a like a high school dance put on by, I don't know, some guy. And you they'd have a big video screen. And they played Michael Jackson's Thriller. It's the first time I saw that. And scared the living shit out of me. <laughs> I, I had a real problem with metamorphosis movies like the American Werewolf in London and stuff like that. That really freaked me out and gave me bad dreams when I was a kid. Oh, and but yeah, lots of lots of Motley Crue. That looks at kill is still one of my favorite songs. So, it's like when his hand, when he's looking at his hand, his hand is stretching out, and he's screaming, and he's turning into the werewolf. Uh, yeah, that's freaky. But when Michael Jackson turns around, and says "Get away!" That I was like, I would that shock. So it's shit the voice out. thing that's more upsetting. Yeah, well, because it's Michael Jackson, and all of a sudden he's it's gonna thing that's gonna tear your throat out, right? So it, that really freaked me out. Okay, and I'm I'm at a dance with a bunch of people that I know, and I'm like. I hey, should. I'm gonna jump aside here. So, sure. do you remember a television show on Canadian television where you could call in and trade things with other Canadians? Yes, three, two, one, contact. <sighs> Thank you. You did it. Yeah. You, I've been asking about this. That was real. I yeah. didn't just dream and, that. It was called three, two, one, contact. And I actually tried to trade things on because I had everyone a, was always trying to trade an ABBA record. Yeah. And a uh, not Chilliwack, but what's another big Canadian band? Um. Foreigner? Helix? Foreigner's not Canadian, they're American. Um, oh, no, what am I thinking? Uh, ABBA, um, the Headpins, maybe. Loverboy. There you go. I'm sorry I did Foreigner when I met Loverboy. I realized I'd made a horrible mistake. <laughs> People were always trying to trade a Loverboy. I mean, it was like eight tracks oh. it was way back when funny and story so was the idea is that it, they put up on a board and then they tried to have people call in to match i'll send you my Loverboy eight track if you send me an abba eight track yeah something like that and uh i didn't really understand that what you're supposed to do is that you're supposed to i, I thought everything went into a pool and it was kind of like a, almost like a toy swap like you put in something so i had um you know the afx car racing right and, yeah uh i really love those things so i was like I've got these two jigsaw puzzles. I was a complete airhead about it. Maybe I'll put them up and I'll get two AFX cars for that, which is like electric race cars that maybe cost $20 a piece and for puzzles that cost maybe $5 a piece okay. at the most in 1979. So. Do you remember what puzzles they were? No. Yeah, no. One was... Uh, this is important stuff. One was uh, look, what looked like Queen Elizabeth Park in Vancouver, but I don't think it was because there's no lake big enough, but it was a lake... With a, a botanical garden behind it, and there was two motorboats racing. Okay. Just dumb, dumbest <laughs> idea. Like, some other kid across town, like, I want those puzzles. i got to have those puzzles. And I got these <laughs> AFX cars burning a hole in my fucking pocket. So they didn't work for you? No. Did no. they even accept your trade offer? I didn't get a call. Oh. And okay. I, I don't remember how it worked. I know that I got a published newsletters thing, mm. and I remember seeing my, my trade go across the board at the bottom of the screen, and I was like so excited. Wow, three to one contact. Oh, wow. And I, did they do anything else on that show? Uh, Like 
science sketches and things like that. No. I, I might be completely wrong, but I think, I, what's the actress's name who played uh, Sloane on Ferris Bueller's Day Off was on that show. Oh, I gotta track that down. Yeah. It's either that or somebody who looks identical to her. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was originally, I think, uh, an educational show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it switched over to an early eBay <laughs> trading no. Craigslist eBay thing. Rewind. No, I have the show completely. Three, three to one contact was the science show. Okay. Wait, then because I know that name, but no, but I, I'm mis, I, I'm misremembering and the the show with the trades. Well, that means you've put fake memories in my brain now. I know, and oh man, so three to one contact was not the show with the trades. No, is is it Bennett's number? The thing that you're you're only allowed to have so many things in your brain, so many names in your. I think it's called Bennett's number. And you can only remember 200 names. Okay. And then you have to go back to the nether regions of your hard drive. So this wasn't important enough for any of us to remember what it was called. God damn it. Because no, I, I watched you'll, it all the you time. You know you'll remember in 40 minutes, so you can just blurt it out in the middle of whatever whatever we're talking about then. No, you'll you'll say something to access it. You I will. don't think it's going to happen. I'm sorry. Okay, but if it does, it's a, it'll be a nice callback to this. But so. it, it always came on after Battle of the Planets. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Which I never is, understood Battle of the Planets. It's it they, had, really, they had bird. It was Gatchaman. They yeah. had bird visors. Yeah, and they they could fly or they could just float down. What could they do? I don't I don't really remember. But what I know about it is that the the Japanese version you can you can watch on YouTube. The Japanese version is completely different. The stories are completely changed, and of course the voices are changed. You got Casey Kasem as Gatchaman, but it, there's one they show uh, they side by side. There's one where these I, mean, I think humans turn into robots, and in the Japanese version, it's a really spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but the American version is really like the Russians are coming to get us. Like the, the story is completely <laughs> different. It's really fascinating. So, okay, gotcha. All right, so we've swerved all around, but much yeah. music was the whole point here. You yeah. started getting into music. Did, um, did you get into skateboarding? Not at that point. I, I would. I was BMXing actually. You got into BMX. Yeah, I really love BMX. I was never any good at it, but did I, you have what kind of bike do you have? I had a Canadian Tire uh, Wildcat. A Canadian tire bike. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which would be, I guess, a Huffy in the States. Sure, sure. And uh, I always wanted something like a Diamondback. Or a, but, yep. But I had a paper route, and I also collected comics, so most money, my money was going out of my pocket, and I was never saving my money up. I was buying X-Men and New Mutants and stuff like that. And, so. and here's the thing. I understand that, because mm. I wasn't buying New Mutants, but I was definitely buying X-Men. But, mm. um, but yeah, I never, I never could put together enough to buy a good bike. Yeah. So I was stuck with that until skateboarding hit, and... I got us. I think in grade it was in grade eight actually. This this guy. So we're at, we're into junior high, and yeah. it's junior high. Yeah, in grade, Canada, grade eight, okay. junior high. And at this point, I'm listening to Motley Crue and Iron Maiden, and this guy, named, which you discovered from Much Music. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and uh, this guy from California. This man named Radar Mogerman. Radar Motorman. Mogerman. Mogerman. These yeah. are real people that you know. These yeah. names yeah. you've been telling me because yeah. you've told me some names. This is a guy I graduated with. He's a, he's a lawyer now. Radar Mogerman. Um, he's from San Francisco. And uh, like the, the name is kind of cool because his dad's Jewish. And so the Mogerman is very Jewish, but his mom, I think, was Norwegian. And Radar is a very common name. And he'd get bullied. So I, one, of the, one of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life is like, uh -huh, what's your brother's name, Sonar? And he's like, ah, yeah, I haven't heard that one today. And he kicked me in the head. Didn't know he had a Taekwondo black belt. So. Okay. Yeah. So. So wait, when did that uh, happen? Uh, that was probably grade nine, grade eight, grade nine. Okay. But he uh he played bass. This is one of the, the he was he's the coolest person I'd met in my life to that point because he's and he kicked you in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I really disrespected him, so I probably deserved it. But 
he was in a band called The Few, okay? And it was a it was a hardcore band. And he was in the band with his brother Aaron Mogerman, who played the drums. And they opened for the Dead Kennedys when Radar was like nine or ten years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, what? Because I'd heard of the Dead Kennedys because we'd get, you know, the Georgia Strait and the Rolling Stone and things like that. And we'd read about these bands and I had no idea what they sounded like. But like, what is this stuff? Is Georgia Strait like a free newspaper? Yeah, it's a lot like The Stranger in Seattle. Okay. And so, yeah, I heard a bunch of like war stories from him, like hardcore shows and like getting stuff signed by Jello by Afro. I'm like, wow, you know this stuff. So... Yeah. And, and you knew about, and, and so would you say that your first foray into like finding out about punk rock was from that newspaper? Probably, yes. There's a lot of stuff in the Vancouver Sun, actually, about, uh, like, they'd interviewed uh, Joe Keithley, Joe Shithead. Oh, right. Uh, from DOA. And I'd be, like, that's the first time I've ever seen the word shit printed in the newspaper. And uh, th- that's when we still lived in Vancouver. And I was right. like, wow, what is that? The, the, this, it's so, a bad word. Yeah. I can't say that guy's name. And there was a lot of. Catholic. And in the 80s, there was a lot of issues about punks hanging out on Granville Street and like getting drunk and causing problems and scaring tourists and whatnot. So right. yeah, a lot of stuff about it. In the, and, and a lot of stuff about violence between headbangers and punks. <laughs> You're going back to Todd. Taylor. Wait, you mean like they were two rival gangs? Kind of. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Like, and we, we, you call them Heshers. We call them, we call them scrubbers. Scrubbers. I don't know where that slang word comes from. Um, yeah. And we call them Heshers. Yeah. And okay. it, this this might be just a slang word from me and my group, and we got some pretty deep slang. So, yeah, <laughs> deep slang. We we say bangers a lot, but bangers. Yeah. Head, and what's it mean? Head bangers. Head bangers. Okay. Yeah. Not like a song is a banger. No, that I'd never heard that as uh like a that party was a banger. I didn't hear that until maybe the nineties. But oh, okay, he's a banger man. Don't hang out with him. I think banger must be a Vancouver thing, though. It could be because like Sam Dunn and stuff. His whole production company is Banger Films. Hmm. Could be. Okay. Sam Dunn of Metal Headbangers Journey. He's the philosopher. He's the, the preeminent metal historian of our time. Yeah, well, I just need to know who it is so I can link stuff on the page at nobody'snows.com. Yeah, he's a sociologist who uh, started making films about metal, and they're all really, cool. really good. So, right on. Yeah. All right. So I think you told me you had that moment when you were young, when you were nine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's where you found basically. I'm, I'm getting a sense of all this stuff, and it seems like you, unlike a lot of people. Who we talk to, like some people come up with music, uh-huh. and the other people kind of it, like experience it, and it kind of you know then it takes them out of their thing. But you, just the fact that you listened to weird music, mm-hmm. you were probably exposed to Cheech and Chong. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So it's almost like the rails were greased for you. You were ready for you weren't going to be thrown by weird music at all. Yeah, like like my my uncles are kind of like they're just hockey players and and you know working class dudes, but they'd have stuff like you know the rodeo song. Oh yeah, is, Billy used to sing that to me. Yeah, and 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 they're, they're always. <laughs> I think on the school bus. I talked about my grandmother. Everybody's trying to make my grandmother get mad, so they bring in the weirdest music. Like when my when I finally bought my first Dead Kennedys tape, I'm like, Grandma, look at this, my new tape. She's like, That's the most offensive thing I've ever seen. Because like Kennedy being assassinated, when my family's Catholic, like it's like, oh. that's their 9/11, I guess. But well, um, it wasn't even their country. They loved Kennedy. Well, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Canadians being patriotic for Americans. Mm-hmm. What the. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's upsetting we're, to us. We're if, in your corner, Dave. You're, wait, you're, you're... We we love your country, too. So. Oh, I love your country. So, Okay, I guess it's weird. I guess it's like we all have to... We're all kind of in the same place, right? Yeah. It's almost like... Can, like, Is it offensive to say Canada's kind of like a 51st state? Uh, if you look at the history of our economics, no. Because we've always had a branch plan economy. Like, if if not for, like, American investment in... most Mostly in Ontario and Quebec in probably the... I don't know, the 
when, when did the Rust Belt get big? The, thir- the 20s and 30s, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I can't put my finger on a date, but very interdependent economy. So, yeah, in a way we are. Okay. Yeah. It so, doesn't get under your skin if I say like 5440 or fight. If you say 5440 and I just think of the band, then yeah, I want to fight you. <laughs> okay. I, I think I knew that at one point in my life. Canada fought a number of battles uh, against the United States, right? Yeah. Someone told me once that he won a bunch of battles against us. No, I think the the the, the, beta, the best smackdown I've ever got is from you in front of the rock candy. Oh, really? Yeah. No, we're gonna jump ahead real quick. Let's do it. We're there. You, no, I'm, and I think we were just like we were riffing like about Canada's best, no America's best. Oh, I'm like, sure I was messing and, with you about Canada. You said fun with that. Yeah, and I just said, yeah, well, we burned down the White House, and then you said, and then you went home. Oh, <laughs> wait, I don't know that that's a burn on you. That's like what you do, right? Well, I, what were you going to do? Hold the camp there? Hold the territory. Well, that's a good point. You I could mean, have taken America, right? That particular war, I don't think we would have been able to. I, I have to reread the history on that one. But yeah. <laughs> did yeah. Was it Canada that burned down the White House or was it the British that burned down the White it House? It was British. It was Upper Canada. It was British Upper Canada that did it, I think. So Canada didn't actually exist yet? No. So you're claiming victories from before, like from, like from before you were born. Yeah. Well, that was before I went to university. So <laughs> I, I learned. There was few... something on an island in the San Juans too, with a pig. There was some kind of a battle. The pig war. The pig. Okay. The you... pig and potato war specifically. Oh. Do you listen to the dollop? Um, I know of the dollop. I need to listen to the dollop, oh. but I don't have time. Yeah, it would take up a lot of your time, and, <laughs> and probably. But that's that's not where I heard about it, though. Okay. Well, I mean, I've heard about this for years. There's a there's a lot of weird esoteric history things that happen and so there was a was there a war over a pig? I believe so. And it was Canadians fighting Americans. The I believe so. And Canadians won. I believe so. I'm getting a sorta from one of the peanut gallery. But we don't need to go into the details of it cuz yeah. let's get back onto you. Word. Okay. Well, these are these are fun things I can link on your page. All right. Okay, so you uh, you were BMX. You couldn't afford a good BMX bike like yep. me. I understand the pain of that, yep. uh, which means you couldn't jump as high. If you tried to race it against other kids, it, it was, just sucked. It was heavier, in the, and actually, yeah. the the pedal the pedals uh, the, the the cranks were shorter, mm-hmm. so there's less torque, and mm-hmm. I couldn't go as fast as my friends who had Kuaharas and things like that. Kuaharas, yes, absolutely. Kuaharas, Diamondbacks, and I really wanted an SE racing. But you did get into skateboarding. Yeah, I did. And I bought that board from Radar Mogerman and I kept that at And tell me what was the board? It was a nineteen eighty one. that was a I got it in nineteen eighty three, I believe. Okay, so it was and a couple it, years old. Yeah, and it was a Caballero. So it was an old Caballero. Yeah, yeah. Before they extended the nose, it's it had wheel wells it had, yep. in, in the front. And it was just like a that pig shaped thing, right? That, yeah, like, really, really short nose. Really short nose. Uh huh. No concave. There was a little bit. A little bit concave? Yeah. What were your, what trucks did you have? Uh there Indies at first, and then I got gull wings. But much later, right? Yeah. Or on that board? Did on, you ride on, on, on the that same board? board? Because the, the guy, the, it came with these like these indies with these really giant OJs. Like it was really kind of vintage, and it was not cool at the time. So I, okay, I got hooked up with some gull wings and some Kryptonic slammers, the eighty five A slammers. Because eighty five A. Yeah. And the thing is, the, the, a lot of the pavement in Vernon is really shitty. So yeah. The, the, you needed that. I always liked the softer wheels. Yeah. Like I never went above 92. Mm. I 85 ended up being too, just too gummy. Yeah. I needed to be able to, to really force it into a slide. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So 92 yeah. was, 92 was where it was at. Yeah. But then the next board I got. OJ I, two streets. That's what I wrote. I got some 
the first bullets, the, the oh. bullet 62. The crazy big ones. No, I had bullet 66 later, but the, ah. the, the, the first bullets I got. Then there were green 97A bullets and Thunder 170s and uh, Bucksmith Sims. And that board was awesome. And Were you able to ride in the parks up here? No, because I didn't live in Vancouver. You were in Vernon. You yeah. didn't come back over to yeah. Vancouver. No, no. So you were in Canada, but you were in a place with no skate parks. Yeah, we actually lobbied the, the city. And in, in 1987, we got our first mini ramp. That, that was kind of cool. So we rode that a bunch. Awesome. But at the time, I didn't have my license. And it was really far from my house. So mostly just skate street, rail slides and whatnot. Cool. And uh, the, the, well, there's a, a theme with that because it's the Okanagan. Like, we didn't get much skateboard we didn't actually have a skateboard shop. There's a BMX store that, that had some skateboards. Yeah. And um, then we'd go to Kelowna, which is about 45 minutes away. And they had a, a island snow. It was really, it was a snowboard and skateboard shop. And they had a ramp in the back. We'd go down there sometimes. And yeah, the Vernon didn't actually get their own, like a concrete skate park until about 1995, I think. When they were springing up all over the place. Yeah. yeah and the, getting... the, when the shitty ones, the hastily built ones were springing up. But yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we skated a lot of jump rat and stuff like that. Learned method errors and almost broke my ankle. Yeah? Yeah. But yeah, we, we skated. Would you say you got good? Mm. Could you do a kickflip? Yeah, eventually, yeah. You could land them? Yeah, I, I, not until I was that, like, o- older than 20, though. Like, right. I've never I've never landed one. Mm. When you finally catch could one. Could you do it now? Maybe. Hmm? Maybe. Will you say when you finally catch one? You said when you finally catch one. When you finally catch one, like you can do the ones where you land and the board lands before you and you land on top of the board. That's kind of, oh, wow, I did it. But, yeah. But when you catch one with your feet and yeah. you're still in there, that's one of the most satisfying feelings. Oh, so dope. I'm so angry. <laughs> I'll teach you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I might be past that, that time. I'm not sure. Okay. So that's definitely something I like to check off. We've got your whole board set up and then what you rode later. So that's, that's good for my own personal... I need to know. Yeah. That's just how I do it with skateboarding. Okay. Uh, when did you discover what, well, when, was there a point in time when you decided I'm a punk rocker? Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to be one because you know, the, you know, the show Square Pegs? Yes, I do. Yeah. And so we'd watch Square Pegs and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's, was his name Slash? I, the I don't know. Guy. He was great. I don't know. Yeah. He had the hot kind of Rizzo influenced girlfriend. That's what I remember. Yeah. And so I was just. I, I, I want to, because punk was so scary at that time. And, and, you know, you hear about the Sex Pistols and Sid Vicious and just, just <laughs> it just real, really weird, like um, peripheral information. It just sounds like so fascinating. And so um, I would search for it whenever possible. But, but because we lived in Vernon, it was, there's just none, no distribution. And what started happening is that the, the Canadian company called Fringe Distribution. Do you know that? Mm-mm. I guess it would be really similar to Dutch East India. Okay. And it was a Canadian company that was based in the East Summer of Toronto or Montreal. And they would license things like the Dead Kennedys. and But they'd also license stuff like the Butthole Surfers. And so the only thing that we could get in Vernon was fringe product. And so you'd go to the record store and you'd look, where's the fringe section? Like there was one cool record store lady that would just order stuff because kids would ask her to. And so we'd see the Butthole Surfers. And also they would order from the store Zulu Records in and so there was a section in the uh, Zulu Records is a famous record store in Vancouver on Fourth Avenue. Mm-hmm. And so she would phone in orders to them. And there was a whole section in our record store that just said Zulu Records. So at that point in my life, I was about fifteen. I think, oh, it's a record label called Zulu Records. Maybe it's like French product. And then there'd be Dead Kennedys, Butthole Surfers, and Husker Du was another band that was in there. And then for some reason, the Stormtroopers of Death record came in. Okay, as did. 
Oh, oh, DRI. Yes. Yeah, because that's got it. It's got to be in there somewhere. Yeah. And so for a time, I was skating with these two guys, one of my best friends at the time, Carrie and Trevor Brooks. I don't know where they are now, but they had the SOD record. They also had the SNFU record that no one else wanted to play. Hmm. So those that dealing with it, no one else wanted to play. And uh, Frankenchrist was my favorite records. And that was my skateboarding soundtrack for like 86, 87. So you were skating, you had those records, mm-hmm. you were like, I'm a punk rocker. Mm-hmm. And you have, did you have a whole crew that you ran with? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know, I was kind of a goofy dude around my school, so there were a bunch of girls that sort of gravitated towards, towards me, and I don't know, it was... Uh, you were living life. Yeah. You're like, was, yes, I've made it. It was, it was fun, yeah. So uh, at what point does, uh, d- does music enter into this? Like were you playing music? Oh, I'm. I always there was always guitars in the house. So so I, you you could play guitar from a young age. Uh, yeah, maybe from eleven I started playing, and so just always playing along with records, especially ACDC seventy four Jailbreak is the first thing I learned from start to finish. It's on the way up here, Bill's playing ACDC in my car, and I'm like, you know what, I really want to hear is Jailbreak, and he was like, it's the only one I don't have on my iPod. Oh. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's, uh, that's a, but tra- I love that's a tragedy. It kind of is. Actually, if there's anybody listening to this, learning how to play guitar, that's actually a really good record to look to play along with and actually learn how to solo and play good rhythm. It's because it's so simple. All right. So what do I want? What do I need to know? Oh, hold on. Peanut gallery. I'm getting a piece of information. Okay. We're gonna, I'm going to jump ahead to two more questions here that are on my list that I've been handed um, because we're talking about Sean and guitar playing. And uh, I think one probably leads into the other, so I'll start with this one. Is it true? So I guess it's going to be kind of an easy one for you to answer, but you can elaborate if you'd like. Is it true that you would walk around in your underwear playing guitar at home, randomly going from room to room, spending a considerable amount of time playing Botch's John Woo, and really enjoying playing those uh, bends that happen above the nut? That's possible. I, I definitely try to master that. That's an incredible song and a really cool guitar trick. But you're focusing on the parts of this that aren't supposed to. You know. I would definitely. I, I I don't think I'd just focus on that one song when I was in my underwear. I don't think there's a connection between botch and my underwear. But I think. Are you sh- okay? There's a definitely. A... I feel like this this question was written for me by someone who witnessed this. Probably. You had your clothes on when I saw you at the last bot show, so I can at least vouch for that. Yeah, and I You didn't, were I didn't dressed have, at the beginning of it. I saw you there. I didn't have a guitar in my hands either, but at home, playing the guitar in my underwear, walking around like a fucking fool is something... That That's what you do? I, I, I still do it. And you really like playing that part? Uh, you know... I think probably what I was doing, because that's a really difficult thing to do, actually. That It's because yeah. you have to be really coordinated. Dave Knudsen is an excellent guitar player. Yes, he is. Yeah, I really respect his playing, but god damn. I, 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 when you're trying to do something like that, you do it repetitively. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And, and as a guitar player, it's just something that you do. You try and try again. You do it slowly until you can get it right, like playing a scale or something like that. So I would get in probably a somewhat of meditative state trying to do it. And anybody witnessing that would say, this is a guy that has a problem. Well, I guess probably relates. So I don't know if it's a problem, but yeah. uh, the next part of this question says, does your mouth exclusively stay open when you play guitar? No, it does this. Does it close? <laughs> Wait, okay, hold no. on. Let's, I'm going to have to take a photo of what you're doing. If, if, if it's even the slightest bit difficult, my mouth naturally does this. <laughs> okay, I got a photo of it. I'll try yeah. to put that up. Yeah, like... If it doesn't go up, it says my tongue gets locked between my bottom front teeth and then the rest of my tongue gets stuck out of my mouth. I don't know I'm doing it. It's completely reflexive. You're just, that's just your guitar playing face. One of them. 
Fantastic. Oh, wait. Okay. Someone's going to write some more questions. <laughs> okay. Um, this feels so like a hit piece. Wendy, they all are. <laughs> <laughs> so when do you uh, decide you're going to be in a band with other people and you're going to do your version of this stuff that you've been listening um, to? Well, I've always wanted to be a man. Like, like any, any guitar player is a complete narcissist and wants to be on a stage. And like, I, I, I would play with those two guys that had the SOD records and we'd, we'd jam together. And we eventually, like the, the drummer guy, Kerry Brooks, he actually turned into this amazing jazz drummer. And I'd stayed with like punk rock and alternative music. And so at some point I graduate from high school and I've been down to see some big shows in Vancouver. Like the two pivotal ones was Mud Honey at the UBC Sub Ballroom, which is a Nardwar, the human serviette, put it on. And it was just mind blowing. Like, like I was really into the grunge thing when it came out and I was like, there's something really happening here because that band the smugglers you know the smugglers yeah yeah there's the, the quote from this banger that was at the show it's like i know the banger in question was <laughs> billy hopeless he ended up being billy hopeless at the time they called him mosher man but he's billy hopeless from the black halos okay really nice guy really nice guy <laughs> but i just heard him at the bus loop after he's like man there's a bigger pit for the smugglers and there was the dri show man and that's a quote that is stuck in my head because the smugglers are playing and you can, they're just a young band at that time and they're, they're a really good band. But I'm watching them. I'm like, what's happening? What's this like Beatlemania for us? What the fuck? <laughs> it was a huge show and just massive like Lollapalooza pit with a lot of stage diving and I don't know, crowd walking. One. It was fucking crazy. And then the next night was a No Means No with Jellaby Afro at the Commodore. Oh, wow. And I, and I was like, no, I need to move here. I need to, I need to be in this city because things are happening here. Right. Yeah. You've got to get out of Vernon. Yeah, exactly. Because it's a really great place to be old uh, or a really great place to be a skier or, or a water yeah. skier or if you have your own orchard or something like that. But it's a really shitty place to be young. Lots of fighting, lots of like teenage drunkenness. It's the only thing to do. Did you get in a lot of fights? Um, got chased a lot. But you didn't actually do a lot of swinging? Uh, no. Like, this is actually a really sad story. Like, uh... This guy, um, I'm not going to say his name because maybe people, if this goes up on Facebook, the people from my school are going to go up on Facebook. But he was a really angry dude and he had a bit of a bully streak in him. And, and he was, he got mad at this other kid in school and he was like trying to start a fight with him. I'm like, dude, don't do that or I'll deal with you. And he's like, all right, fine. Let's fight after school. I'm like, fuck yeah. All right. Oh, our, you, had, you had a planned fight, yeah, a set so, up so, fight. And he it turns out that he's a lot smarter than me in that realm i i don't know how to fight i can't fight my way out of what fucking paper bag but i know i have a sense of justice and a pretty bad temper so what i did i followed it out to his buddy's car and he's like you know what you know i can't do it right now let's meet here eight o'clock tomorrow night friday night he said that at the bike racks and i'm like all right cool i'm down with this so we're getting ready or getting psyched up and i remember we're listening we're listening to dri um what's it called that crossover uh-huh. i'm like mm, i lose you win i'm like i'm gonna get this guy and slowly just getting more and more scared like really this is a bad idea and so we met him at the bike racks and uh he's clearly a little bit drunk and maybe high on speed and i'm like what this is and you know when you get on the mic sometimes and the, 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 the sort of your your sense of your spatial surroundings it goes all fucked up and like it just terror hit me and and i i think i'm gonna hit him a couple times but he got me on the on the ground and he started bashing my head in the concrete. I'm like, oh. all right, fine, fuck, I give. And that led to him bullying me for God, about a year. Wait, so it was a fight then bullying? Because a lot of times bullying ends with a fight. No, but what I did is uh, 
I grabbed my skateboard, the 81 Caballero, <laughs> to try and defend myself. He's like, you're going to pull a board on me. Fine, I'll, I'll take your fucking board. Oh. And so he took my board. My dad, bless his heart, phoned the guy's mom. Like, your son took my son's skateboard. Oh, man. And yeah. That's not good. Yeah. And <laughs> it, that ended up like, whatever. My dad did the right thing. But sure. That I was kind of tormented for about, about 10 months in grades 11 and 12. And what happened with that guy, though, he's, he never turned out to be a good person. And he got into coke dealing and he pulled a Rick James on somebody and he got arrested. And instead of facing prison, he hung himself. So. Oh, God. Yeah. So, I mean, is it as much as he, I know he's not a good person, like, I just feel bad for his mom. Sure. So, um, yeah. I feel bad about pulled a Rick James. Why am I missing the reference? Well, Rick James went to prison for a few years for, uh, I think, a drug debt was involved and mm. he uh tied somebody to a chair and tortured them oh and god this is what that guy did oh wow yeah so like inspired by that i don't think he was a rick james fan or anything <laughs> he just he thought it was the best thing to do at the time this and is before it was a funny Chappelle skit yeah yeah okay. he, he i think rick james did two years oh i don't check the wikipedia yeah exactly all right so you're moving back to vancouver now yeah you're yeah. out of this mess and so I get to Vancouver. I'm living in Wally, which is like right across the, the Petula Bridge in Surrey. And I live there for a few months with uh, my uncle and my sister. And then I end up going to a gig put on by the Jess Quest Co-op. My good friend, Greg Levesque, who now lives back in Vernon, was living in New West at the time. And he said, there's this big show and there's all these bands. This, uh, uh, I'm like, what kind of bands? And I don't know. I think they're punk rock bands, hardcore bands. Maybe. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's, let's, let's check it out. Uh, Sparkmarker? And uh, 10 Feet Tall, Sludge, um, uh, and what was the other one? The Deprogrammers. De Do you know the... I don't know the Deprogrammers, but I know all the other bands you mentioned. Do you know uh, Rada Vinoda? He was the guy, his name is Rob Dixon. Maybe. He was in a band with Sean Landy and Sean Keen called Last Gasp. <laughs> they were in a band called Last Gasp? You might need to edit this out. Because <laughs> Sean Landy's the large man who can kill me. <laughs> Was he? In a, you he doesn't want people to know he was in a band called Last. I don't, Gasp. I don't honestly don't think he cares. It's it, there's there's demos out there, and there's a really good song called Party Girl. And, uh, <laughs> How does Party Girl go? Party Girl. It sounds like a song that gets you in trouble later in life. Party Girl, always high, always telling me I'm a negative guy. That's all I remember. But yeah, that's <laughs> I think the first recorded. <laughs> Do other people in this room remember that band and Party Girl? Okay, so yeah, that's verification. It's a real thing. <laughs> I mean. Lyrically, that's a that's a that's a great message. I think that's <laughs> it's not bad. It could have yeah. been a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, he's critical of people that get high all the time. Okay, yep. so that was your connection. That was your first foray into the Vancouver scene. Yeah, and then and you so, start meeting people in these bands. Yeah, and so I met a, a certain person in one of those bands, and he took me to Bellingham once, and I got yeah. got involved with that that group of people putting on shows, and we put on a bunch of shows. Uh, so we put on a bunch of shows, I think, is I'm being told, I'm being with a, with sign language that I'm supposed to start asking questions off the list again. Okay. Um, oh, three questions. Three questions. First question. Uh-huh. What is the best story you have about crosstown traffic? <laughs> that's chronologically, that's, that's another couple of years down the line. So I'll. Let's jump in. Oh, did you, were you holding this story for later? I was thinking about it when I woke up this morning. Okay. So then we're going to move on. I'm getting the sign that I can move on. It. <laughs> Well, I'm supposed to ask you about the time Landy and Franco took over Eric's radio show. <laughs> that might take some explaining about who Landy, Franco, and Eric are, but do it. Okay. Um. Well, 
I'll get to all those things. I, 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 you I, want to get there I, in time? I, I, I've forgotten about that one. Thank you, sir. But what uh, I'm going to get to is the uh, Jess Quest Co-op put on a bunch of shows, uh, those local shows uh, with all those bands. And it was really, really fun. And uh, the shows at the Arcadian Hall were kind of classic. Uh, Cat's Game was a great band. Uh, Ten Feet Tall was a great band. Sludge was awesome. And Spark Marker was great. And they'd do shows and shows. And then there was a big blow it when they had a brand new unit procreation it was like an all surrey show and so an all surrey show brand yeah. new unit was on excursion records my record label yeah yeah but they were from surrey and they were one of the more palatable bands from surrey people liked them but yeah then procreation was a death metal band and <laughs> i don't know death metal in vancouver's like there's a certain wild element that comes out with it so that's how we lost the arcadian hall as a venue because uh. Um, the show got shut down. Someone stole some Halloween candy from next door. No, it was more like drinking in the parking lot. Yeah. And the uh, the cops shut the show down, and there's a bit of a riot. So okay. Uh, yeah. Anyways, so that's that's how I got into like putting on shows and being in bands, and how I met up with people like Parge and things like that. Like with Kim Kinnikin as being kind of like a Ron Guardape kind of character. Like he knew everybody, and he would. That's how I got my first apartment with uh, Parge's ex wife Cindy. Yeah, Kim did a lot of connecting. Yeah. myself and people i know i mean yeah. he's the guy that brought down oh here's this check out my new band strain check yeah. out you know he that when they were first starting he he connected me to a lot of people too yeah and to his canadian friend, ron gardapi is that's pretty fair yeah now get to that uh to the three questions that are oh you're ready for the questions yeah okay a little bit of background there's a guy do you want to do the radio show one first oh oh this is on this is on this hold on we didn't even talk about that. Okay. Because I don't know you as a straight edge guy. Okay. I don't know you as a straight edge guy. Mm-hmm. I just know you as a guy I know. Yeah. But you were a straight edge guy? Yeah. We talked about that and maybe I've forgotten. Mm-hmm. But what's that all about? Okay. Well, I think it just, you know, I, I drank and at one time I got really, really drunk and, uh, when there's some, some stuff going bad in your life and, you know, the, anybody who's got a lot of like, issues I, I had a bad time and i got a bad breakup with a with a with a girl i really loved and i became the crying drunk and got really embarrassed in front of a lot of people once and so i just you know fuck this it's too embarrassing i i quit drinking completely for a good f- four years i think it was and i was hanging out with mike kornitsky a lot okay is probably one of the most straight edge people in the world yep um i, I think he's straight edge to the point of being uh like a neutron star almost <laughs> like uh, nods of agreement yes <laughs> I've, so, I've known for a long time and we were really ant- antagonistic and like i said i like the research pranks book and like we do straight edge pranks i can't think of one off the top of my head like spray painting and stupid shit like that but yeah we were roommates at the time and like i think it was just like a partners in crime being straight edge and like putting up dumb stickers and things like that um you get him on your podcast, you'll, you might, uh, I'll let him teach you the content of the stickers. Like, <laughs> like I don't know, stupid man, drunk people suck. No, they don't. But, you know, some of the best people are drunk people. But anyways, uh, so I was, yeah, I was straight edge. And for some reason, I thought that you sh- I should only X up one hand. I don't know why I thought that. It was like a guy who had his mohawk on the side. Hold on. We, we have another peanut gallery comment. What's up? What's up, intern? So, okay. We have just heard that. You did that because Ray Capo only X'd up one hand on We're Not in the Salon on the cover. I don't, I might have told somebody that at some point, but at the point I didn't really like Youth of Today. I really okay. did not. So we're hearing that, it, that there were a number of people who did this style of X'ing up and you may have seen that or not. 
that may have been where you were influenced. No, because I really did not like Youth of Today until much later. Like, and not until I was even maybe in my late twenties that I liked Youth of Today. I didn't pay attention to them. Okay. Um, the real reason that I. <laughs> well, you know the reason you I, only accept one. I hand. do, and it's one of the silliest things you'll ever hear. Is that I sleep like this. You know, you're putting a picture of your hands up on your face, yeah. and you didn't want to get X's on your face from the ink from the night before. It's the straight edge hangover. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The reason, not the reason that I didn't want to. Have you ever had one of those conversations with somebody like you have faded X's on your hands and like, what are those for? And like, what? Yeah. Are you are you in prison or something? What happened? Like, and then you have. Oh, well, they never went that way. But oh. I've had the yeah. What are the X's for? I sure. don't. I'm just like tossing out a reason why someone might have faded Jiffy Mark X's on their hands and like what you might say about it, but. No, I I actually did X up both hands for a while. And then going to work with a big black marker X on my face <laughs> and my coworkers knowing that I didn't drink and they saw a black marker on my face like, did you pass out at a party? Why do you have black marker on your face? And like, well, you see, it's also on my hands. And I guess I sweated in the night or something and it, it uh -huh. ended up on my face. And that's the the position I sleep in even now. So. And this was Jiffy marker that you had on your hands. Most likely, or Sharpie, or something like that. Well, that's I was gonna say the the difference between Canadian and and American is mm -hmm. you, is Jiffy and Sharpie. I think. I don't awesome. know if it is anymore. Yeah. Does, do you guys still have Jiffy markers up here? What are the big fat Earth Crisis ones? We we know. Well, I don't know. We do have Jiffy markers. They're the best smelling ones. Oh. Yeah. But. Uh, uh. Anyways, so that is the reason, uh, completely unrelated to Well, I have a thing. question on this list about that, though, about straight edge. Okay. It's uh, how cool was drinking beer again after being straight edge? Um, okay, at, at that point in my life, I was having a lot of social problems, and uh, I had gone through a bad breakup, and like I, I treated was under the impression that I treated this person really badly. I'm like, okay, being straight edge and all this veganism stuff, I'm like, I'm treating animals and myself better than I'm treating other people. That was actually an argument I had in my my head because I got I, I you know went through a really really shitty relationship and a really bad breakup so I just said fuck it my the drummer in my band at the time Rob Brady uh, he got a keg of Shaftbury Cream Ale and I'd never had good beer before I'd only had like big corporate beer so you know when you, when you drink so, I guess you don't know yeah you say it to me no it's funny but so there are probably <laughs> there's probably like one person in this room who'll know what you're talking about when you drink something and then you associate vomiting with it like, uh -huh. for me it's rum. Because if I, if I ever stole alcohol from my parents, it's usually rum because my mother drank rum. Uh, so I can't drink rum to this day. I also can't drink kokanee or Molson Canadian shit like that. I can't do it. But Chaparri Cream Ale is like the first microbrew I'd ever been introduced to. And I'm like, wow, this is delicious. It's so good. And so I had a sip. And a certain other person who I won't name had a sip. And, and we all got really drunk that night. And... I broke edge with this person, and I'm not going to blow up a spot. But we know who this person is. That's surprising. So this person wasn't straight edge yet. Uh, you know, this is fucking common knowledge. I was... I was... <laughs> <laughs> There's things going on in this room, people. You're just going to have to uh, understand that it's fun, but you don't get to be part of it. A certain person who is no, no longer with us knows the whole story. And the, the secret died with Jody Taylor. So. Oh, there was a secret. That's okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. That is a, uh, the key has been thrown away. You can't open that one up again. That vault is closed. Segway into the, the Eric's radio show story. Okay, so that segues into the Eric's radio show story. Okay, there was a point where in Strain, like, Eric was significantly older than most of the guys in Strain. In the band Strain. Yeah. Okay. So, um, 
I think there was some sort of like and significantly older means what like five years. Um, yeah, Eric was easily ten years older than Sean Landy. Okay, uh, around that. So sure. I think they must have had a band argument, and Eric, you know, well, I'm not taking this anymore. Grabbed his gear and he took it out of the jam spot and went home. And suddenly, Strain got a new bass player named Jay David. Okay, who was a another local treasure. Anyways, so it wasn't Eric's radio show. It was a man named Jeff Robinson's radio show. Okay. Jeff Robinson is a man who is from Coquitlam, but now lives in Portland. The Coquitlam Heartbreaker. Yeah, yeah. Coquitlam Heartbreaker. Yeah. Lovely guy, Jeff Robinson. He was involved with Slow Side Down. We have a song named after him. So we all hung out together because uh, Eric had a bunch of friends and they were, I don't know how to say this, like we... It was a place called the South Wall where there's kind of a youth center and there's shows there and we all became really good friends. And it was just, it's a little click that happened for about a year. And so we all decided to go to Jeff Robinson's radio show. However, Sean Landy, John Franco and Jay David also decided to come to Jeff Robinson's radio show. And this was when Eric was out of the band and they didn't know Eric was going to be there. And so they came to the... uh it's CITR radio at UBC, and uh, there's a little people, like somebody rings the doorbell after hours, and if somebody you know, you can let them in. And a lot of shenanigans and drinking goes on in there at night. But they ring the bell, and I go to the door. I don't see a face. I see youth of today. That, what's the red one? We're not in this alone. I'm like, oh no. Because Jeff Robinson liked hardcore, but at the time he was playing a lot of K, like K Records kind of stuff and like all that like Bikini Kill and all that kind of shit. He's, he was into that indie rock and built a spill and things like that. I could be wrong, Jeff. If you're listening to this, please forgive me. So they came in and they took over Jeff Robinson's radio show. And <laughs> and they're like, come in, we're coming in and we're going to play some straight edge hardcore. And I don't think that's the word they said, but they took over and like, Lanny's always been a large kind of intimidating guy and at the time he had a kind of a reputation as being this kind of bruiser I don't think I ever saw him fight so I don't but he was a hockey player he's actually a really gentle dude but every big guy that doesn't dress like a punk oh shit he's probably gonna kill us so he comes in and they all sit down and they just start taking over Jeff Robinson's radio show and playing Youth of Today and uh, Hard Stance and uh, Eric was there and he was out of the band. And so he was, just, oh, he was awkward. He was in the room. Yeah. And it was really funny. And then people started phoning in the radio show and because the format of the show had changed. And Sean Landy answers the phone. Who dis? <laughs> Yo, who dis? I'm getting a look on a certain person's face that he did not, he did not, he didn't know that element of the story. <laughs> and so okay so what people were calling in to complain because they thought they were going to hear bikini kill and they were hearing youth of today i'm guessing so i think that maybe somebody who knew jeff and was listening to his show was like disappointed that the it, format had changed so did they do did they like put jeff somewhere like so he couldn't talk did they say we've taken over this show no i don't i don't i don't think so i don't he think he was they, a willing participant in this in this raid i think he was just compliant I don't think he was actually scared of them because he, he probably could have called security and got them to, to leave. He but. felt like if I just don't cause a scene, I'll get my show back. Yeah. And I think he actually liked, he might have liked Strain. So like, I didn't think he wanted beef with the guys in Strain because he might want to I would see just them. think that, it, I mean, if you're thinking on your feet, this is just a funny situation. This yeah. is going to be good later. Yeah. And who dis? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then what is the best story you have about Crosstown Traffic? That's another question off this list. Um, well, a lot of really excellent shows happen at Crosstown Traffic. Like a lot of strange shows with Die Down. 
there's one strain die down. Play, I played there once. Yeah. Yeah. Who was also was on that show? Don't remember. Yeah. And uh, I feel bad. Crosstown traffic was. Oh, a, hold on a second. Bill's pointed at himself. Jay Hawker played there. Yeah, there was a Jay Hawker show with Dida. Okay. In Canada? Yeah, Crosstown traffic. Oh, yeah. then that's it. Yeah. It was one of the only Canadian uh, Jay Hawker shows. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so it's Jayhawker Strain and and uh, Dido. Actually, uh, and Undertow, I think, possibly too. Yeah, that's correct. Oh, okay, that that's, that actually does that make was sense. The actual. It's a weird night. Mm-hmm. Weird night. Good show. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eric Strain um, yeah. loaned me his bass that night, yeah. which was super. No, he loaned me his uh, his his. Uh, you played cabinet. Damien's red bass that night. Did I? You I did. thought I played mine. I broke a string. I know that. Well, what kind of bass did you have at the time? PV. No, it wasn't the brown PV. You remember? Okay. Well, I used to pay. I used to. Play I may it. well have. I may well have been using Damien's bass. So there was I'm certain one you were. Certainty though, and that's that every backpack in the city of Vancouver was moshing. In that show. <laughs> <laughs> no. Side note: that T awesome. that the PVT40 bass is something I used to pay. I used to play bass in uh, great bass jazz band in uh, grade eleven and twelve, and that's the bass I used. Oh yeah, yeah, and the pickups on the thing just sound there. They got a fucking growl to them. Anyway, I enjoyed that bass. Yeah. I was never a good bass player. Yeah. It's, it's what are you do? probably heavier than that fridge over there, but I uh, can attest, yeah. Uh, so, anyways, the uh, best story of Costown traffic, though. There is a man who is uh, was famous in Vancouver for being a bit of a party wrecker. Um, he and he's wrecked many, many parties and many, many shows. And at the time, he was kind of persona non grata, but he's turned out to be a really stand up guy. And I really, really like him now. And I, I liked him back then, too. But he was just a guy with problems at that time. And, and uh, kind of lost patience with him, as had everybody. And uh, what he would do is he'd go to every single show drunk off his ass and try to make friends with people. And, you know, you know how it is with the drunk. And you can't talk to them. And he'd get mad that people didn't want to be his friend. And, and, he'd, and then he'd talk to me and say, why don't people want to be my friend? Because you're big, you're intimidating, and you're drunk. And so it never, it finally got through to him at one point. But it didn't at the time. So anytime that he showed up at a show, everybody's like, oh, no, this fucking guy. And sometimes it was funny. Other times it was like borderline violent because people would get fed up with him and want to punch him out. So this time we're standing on Hastings Street. It was no, no, because I was not here for this. Mm -hmm. I wasn't here. And uh, Jinx's girlfriend, Jinx Stringer's girlfriend, had put her video camera away. And this one of the biggest regrets of anybody's life is like putting missing the videotaping of this. As far as I know, the people that were there were John Franco, Macy Budgel, who now owns Budgie's Burritos in Vancouver. Um, whatever her name was, Jinx's girlfriend, the name escapes me. And John Franco might have been there. And so they see uh, there's the Cenotaph Park, the like the memorial, the war memorial down in, I forget the name of the park. He's walking up through the park and he's got a six pack in one hand and he's rolling drunk. He's just, and they're like, oh no, this fucking guy. And so he walks up to the show, but Richard Street is right between the park and Crosstown traffic. So he hangs the left and goes up Richard Street. And they're like, oh, shit, we dodged a bullet. He's not coming. <laughs> but it was a, a show with a bunch of sort of like East Van left wing cross punk bands. And we had assumed he was going to be there. And so uh, a couple of minutes passes. And what apparently happened is that he rounded the corner once again. Only this time he had all his clothes in one hand and... The six pack in the other hand. So he had just gone he, and taken off his clothes. Everything, yeah. and and he was a fairly large man. He's he's a lot more in shape now, but he was pretty dumpy at that point. And he has a sort of a Rodney Dangerfield kind of look to him. <laughs> and he starts coming up towards the people that were there, and he <laughs> could have to start giggling. It sucks. He you remember how George the Animal Steel would 
come at people with his arm. You know the, the wrestler George Anderson. I do. I, I he green tongue eat yeah. the turnbuckle. I yeah. do know who you're talking Feigning about. Feigning mental retardation. Sure. Yeah, and and he started do doing that. We still that. say that. I know you do. <laughs> Maybe in Canada is it a metric thing? Uh, Feigning, feigning some sort of mental deficiency. Yeah, he, okay. he would you know, come, come flailing at people, and that's what he started doing to people. And naked. I think, I think the quote from again from Sean Lander was "Step away, <laughs> step away." Arms crossed like this. Step and really, <laughs> all of this helps if you know Sean Landy, because yeah. he's he's really quite a, a quiet guy, and he's and he's. Like, but if he told you to step away, I think you would. Well, he's 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 large and very very in shape, and yeah. Anyways, <laughs> step away. Yeah. So, our old pal Mike Kronitsky, corn dog, is uh, helping work the door. Like, if you've ever anybody who knows Mike, Mike Kronitsky, he's kind of the the catch all doorman, you know, bouncer. EMT. EMT. EMT yeah. I have seen him definitely uh, like triaging like injuries at like a Earth Crisis show or Integrity or no, something. No, like, the, the the classic one is trial. Greg, I think, broke his hand, and on the mic, Mike Kornitsky, if you're here, I think I've broken my hand or something <laughs> like that. I think I broke my nose, and and you see Mike, Dad, he's there in like less than less than a second, and so yeah, I've seen it, him running through a crowd with like a first aid kit above his, in his hand above the crowd, so you could just see it cutting through like a shark. Make a hole, make a hole. We're good to go. Yeah, that's 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 Mike, and you know, the scene is better for it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so Mike is not working the door, but he's at the door. Some uh, sort of East Van crust punk woman is—I don't remember her name—but she is working the door. She's like, "You can't come in here. That's inappropriate." And Mike's like trying to talk reason to the guy who has absolutely no reason, and he finally gets him out on the sidewalk again. He's like, "Come on." At least put your underwear back on, please. And what happens next is this very drunk man's like, all right, I just, I'll put my underwear back on. And he gets one leg in, starts getting the other leg in, so his hands are busy. And Mike, he, he, there was a, a pair of cut-off army pants on the ground beside him. Mike grabs them and runs and catches the next sea bus to North Vancouver, where he was living at the time. And... Uh, one of the bands that was playing, I think the the money that was left in the guy's pants was used to cook up a feast for the band that was staying. Wait, wait, so when he was trying to put his underwear back on, they stole his clothes and ran away? Yeah. And so the poor guy was only in his tidy whities <laughs> on Hastings Street, which is not the nicest place in the world, and trying to panhandle. I think the, with the people around him, uh, they wanted him out of there. He's like, I need bus fare. Like, okay, everybody gave him bus hair, so you get the fuck out. But then he goes to the bus stop and like, I think nine buses passed him before he could get on a bus. He's like, no, you're not getting on this. <laughs> and at the point, I think he lived in North Burnaby, like past Boundary Road. So if he had had to walk, one, he would have had to walk him through the worst neighborhood in the world. In his underwear. In his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> and he also would have had to walk about 10 miles. So uh, in I, guess, I have a feeling this was a real lesson learner. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, that, but it's definitely something that sticks in my mind as being uh, an incident that if he doesn't remember it because of whatever drunkenness, it's good. But if he does remember it for some reason, then it's it would be a lesson learner, hopefully. <laughs> like I said, he's a good guy now. Cool. If he's listening, uh, thank you for providing us with that wonderful yeah, story. And if he is listening, which he might be listening, I do have a, a lot of respect for you, man. Okay, so I, apparently this is a good time for me to ask about... The strange show that you did with Silent Majority, Indecision, and Millhouse. Oh, God. Uh, okay. 
what happened with that is that we had initially meant to put the show on at Crosstown Traffic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, God. Uh, I, I saw that show, the version of that show, that tour, at Big John's. In really? Big John's in Fall City. Yeah. In his They're, basement. Great show. Great bands. Yes. Great great people. Um, what happened is that uh, there was a miscommunication with uh, the booking agent. I think I told the booking agent that the venue had been moved. And she wasn't able to get a hold of them or something. I don't remember if it was... A, it was Stormy. Uh, yeah, and uh, it could have been my fault. It could have been Stormy's fault. I'm not going to blow up her spot. But anyways, they didn't get the information that the show had been moved, so they parked in front of Crosstown Traffic. Now, what happened is that that's a very drug-infested area, as you know, and their van was promptly broken into. And I don't think they got any gear stolen, but personal things like CDs with, you know, mixed CDs that a friend had made for them. And a, a, a discman was stolen, a, like personal effects like diaries were stolen and shit like that and they're really fucking mad about it and they actually got to the van as the second person that had looted the van was in it and and like oh wait so passersby say they're not the first person to break in the van he's the second guy so they they caught up with them and i remember the drummer of millhouse i think it was the drummer of indecision as well they they grabbed the guy and started beating the crap out of him and the quote was i'm gonna murder your face i'm gonna murder your face and, like, they're all from New York, so the accent is, uh, I can't do the accent any justice, but hearing it out of his mouth, it was pretty priceless. Mm-hmm. And that's the most bummed out I've ever seen a band. And it's just, like, one of the things that makes me kind of ashamed about my city. Like, that's such a bad problem. And, like, I know a certain person who's had his car broken into so many damn times that he just decided to not have a CD player anymore. So, anyways, so the show was moved to a place up in a very residential neighborhood near 20th and Main, and it was a canadian legion hall and it was a very small hall and it was a very loud amps and there was houses right next door so here's this hardcore show and all these kids hanging out and the neighbors ultimately complained and it was a really really great show but it got shut down and strained only got to play like it was like one of their final shows as, mm. a, as a real band before any reunions i think and so they uh yeah they only got to play three or four songs but and so that was just a wild show it was you know uh to paraphrase what was said, it was a, it was it was set up to be. I don't think it was conscious that it was one of Strange's final shows, but or maybe the final show. But there was just a, a really crazy energy in the room that night, and coupled with the the cops coming and the, the complaining neighbors, it was just wild. They came in and the lights were down. It was a show in the dark and, and just one of the craziest pits that anybody's ever seen. And there's there's a photo of it taken by the Vancouver photographer Andrew Dennison, which is. I'll try to find for you. And, oh, please do. And it is one of the craziest pictures that's ever been taken in Vancouver hardcore. And uh, it's just a legendary show. Yeah, definitely. And one of the best shows. And that hall, I had told another person about it. And, and like, I guess Assuck played there <laughs> about a week later. And Oh, poor, poor neighbor lady. Yeah. And, and well, the thing is, I had helped book the Assuck show as well. And uh, an, another person, Siobhan Smith, put that show on. Uh, and uh, I think there was even more problems that, because the people that showed up at that show were all like really, you know, dirty, dirty people and uh, not as savory as a bunch of like clean cut straight edge kids. So. <laughs> all right. Anyways, I hope I did that justice. You know, we haven't talked about your involvement in your band. Okay. Uh, in Stove Bolt. Stove Bolt. And I put out Stove Bolt. I put out a song on the Universal Choking Sign on Excursion Records, my label. Yeah. And you guys had, uh, it wasn't just a demo. You released a Stove Bolt CD. No. Uh, no. No, there was a there was a demo. There's two demos. One we put out ourselves. One put out by John Line in Calgary. It's for Cold. Cold Records, yeah. Okay. And he put out a he actually put out a, a a CD single by the Seattle band Bare Minimum. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, like Mark Pinkos and I don't remember the other guy's names, but yeah, Bare Minimum. 
and so he put out the tape uh we put out the other tape ourselves and so yeah and we 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 played a bunch of shows but you know we broke up like any any young band and that was you and parge right me initially it was me uh darren bennett who was the first bass player in spark marker Mm -hmm. and uh a drummer named rob brady and my good friend Dave Alexander was a singer and guitarist. He's a, he's a Vernonite as well. And he moved down to be in bands as well. So. Oh, so he knew you from back in the day. Yeah, definitely. And so you know, we played a bunch of shows. We did a couple of Calgary trips. And we ne- unfortunately never played Seattle. We never we were starting to... You book- didn't really get out? Unfortunately, no. We were starting to book tours and stuff and get think about getting a van, but then just infighting like any young band does. And we... Uh, unfortunately broke up it just kind of there was a really good spark in that band and we were really there was and we loved writing songs together but just something fizzled it was actually there was a girl involved where uh <laughs> what are you gonna do one guy was dating a girl and the other guy ended up dating the girl oh i'm sure we, no this, this has never happened to no, anyone before no. so uh that's that's just a very very short version of that and that's a very short version of still but we'll move on yeah we can do that you are also featured in the end of my film the edge of quarrel Yes. You came down. You you answered the call. I put out the call. I needed people for the big scene. A friend was talking to me about just this last week on Facebook about how, how we put together the the final scene in Edge of Quarrel, the big rumble scene. How did I get that many people there? Yeah. And I actually still can't believe that it, it <laughs> did come together the way it did. Um, and I just put out the call to everybody, and you were part of the Canadian contingency that yeah. came down. And, like... Who did you play in the scene? You, I, you were backing up the straight edge, right? Yeah, absolutely, because I had short hair at the time, and I always wore those <laughs> cut-off army pants, and I, I don't think I looked like a crust bunker. Cause I, did you step up with a ram? I did. So you guys are the two that step up and then and do the, yeah, you're, I, the, I you're back in John's play, right? Yeah, John, yeah but we're, I can't do John's voice. He has that, that, I would talk to you about John's voice. It's such an interesting voice. Like, we're better. He has this sort of like throaty rumble to his voice it's really interesting anyways <laughs> yeah he says that line he says we, we're better and then you guys stepped up yeah and yeah edit that thing out about the throaty rumble it's kind of silly yeah no yeah. okay <laughs> how will i piece it together then uh, i don't know well he's got a really good voice okay we'll, yeah. we'll figure it out it's, it's a unique voice anyways we he uh he says that line and then then me and a ram step up two straight edge kids one is me and we step up and sure. make eye contact and get all into fighting stance and then uh so in that scene did you get hurt physically hurt did you catch any punches knees i don't, I don't think so i think it was well mimed I, I think i was tangling with uh john orton a little bit yeah fantastic and i think uh the guy that was the bass player for the murder city devils i th- might have like been tangled up with him a little bit i'd have to watch it again but, nice but yeah there's a lot of fake it was fun i got a, a bunch of my friends from two different towns like mm-hmm. the people that i grew up with a lot of people came out and played the rednecks or whoever yeah, yeah. and uh I threw everyone together and said, hey, fight for six hours. Yeah. And you, here's the amazing thing. You, it was six hours that we were there. Seemed and like, you were all awesome. Seemed like, like a lot quicker. I was, like one person complained. Yeah. I, and that person has been complaining ever since. Just an old grumpy neighbor? There's somebody that's in Edge of Coral uh-huh. that goes around and leaves bad reviews from like Europe. They've been in Europe for a long time. Wherever they can. Whenever there's a like a, a comment you can leave on Edge of Coral, and they're like, I was in this film. I can't believe this thing is still out there. And I'm like, I think I know who that is. I, is <laughs> and there... it's, here's the thing. Every person in the movie could do that as far as I'm concerned. Be honest. But we all had fun, and no one else was pulling that kind of like angry, you know. There was, there was such a, a good mood in that crowd that day. Anybody that was there who has that kind of reaction to it is the most colossal. No, there, was, there, was, there was someone who bailed out right at the beginning. Oh. Like who was just I don't didn't real I think listen 
this is totally fair. Yeah. And they're, I'm not criticizing them for bailing out. I think they didn't know what they're getting into. I think it was they thought there was going to be a little thing that we were going to go do. No, it was a I don't day. think they under, and didn't really know them. Yeah. They were just with friends, right? So very, very quickly, we're outside. It's in the sun. If you're not ready for this, yeah. it's it's not going to work for you. And so we, it worked out, yeah. right? It was fine. I didn't even hold any grudges or anything, but it's it's weird that there's this one person who, who just every once in a while pops up and... That is a douche drinker. And they make a it. comment from inside. I'm in this movie and I hate it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, buddy, you're a douche. <laughs> well, he was there. He was there with you. Well, I mean... I can't. I, I had a sunburn at the end, and yeah, I, I, I came there hungover. So, like, I have an X on my hand, and I'm hungover. And we we went to Casa Kipasa afterwards, and I had a beer, and I'm ordering a beer with an X on my hand, and I'm I'm in <laughs> Casa Kipasa in Bellingham, and people are like, "What?" But I don't. Uh, so yeah, but that guy's a douche. Look. We drove back to Seattle, and then Michael Ann and I went to Mangos and had Thai food. I remember that, and I miss Mangos. Okay, that's, not, that's apropos of nothing. Yeah. But um, I I just was in kind of a daze because that was like one of the hardest. Like it was a huge thing. It was way I didn't know I was getting into. Yeah. Way too it was way too much. I remember that day because it was the one chance that I would have had to be in the movie, and I was stuck doing inventory at software, etc. Oh, you couldn't make it out. And I was so pissed. Yeah. There were a couple people. Like I think I understood why you weren't there. There was one or two like surprises. There were like surprises that someone showed up and a surprise that someone didn't. It was kind of one of those things, you know, like, oh, weird. But no one knew. I mean, even coming down, even when we were meeting at the reservoir in Seattle before going down, and no one knew what I was planning. No one ever knew what I was like going to throw them into. Thing. Yeah. Uh, it was a fun day. Definitely. It was too much though. Once, once someone said, "Why haven't you been? Why didn't you make another movie?" Yeah, because I did. Because I made the one. Like. I, I think that I'll write movies, but I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna film another one. Calling a bunch of your friends as, as volunteer actors, I mean, I would have been really, really excited to do the the ice cream scene, but I don't think that you know, a, a long, grueling shoot in the sun, I, I think, sucks even for a professional well, thank actor. Thank you, you were there. Uh, I've worked on film crews recently where if we put someone through even a, a little bit of what I put you all through, yeah. we would be in trouble. Like, it would be bad. There'd be complaints. Well, two people it's, that are from, formerly in Stovebolt are currently working in that industry, and that's, you know, they either have a, a two-hour day or they have a 12-hour day. And yeah. It, it does sound like a it can be a really harsh job. <laughs> so, yeah. The, Rob Brady, the former drummer, is a, he's a, actually, he did a lot of the camera work for CBC, I think, for the Pyeongchang Olympics. So, oh. yeah, his Instagram's full of pictures of Pyeongchang. It's really cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. So we're going to slowly start bringing this in. Okay. And then at some point, you're around. Stovebo goes in. And like Bill said, like when we filmed the final bot show, you were there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd still see you over the years and be involved in things. And then, and that was what, like, it was like two or three years after we filmed Edge of Coral. Yeah. And then you leave. Yeah. Where did you go? Oh, I'd been putting on shows in Vancouver and getting really frustrated with it. Like the, as a city, it can be really fickle and uh, and also rents. The, the whole gentrification thing in Vancouver is really starting to bum me out. And so I finished university and I just decided to move out. I was originally going to go to Japan um, and get on the, the JET program, which is the government-run English teaching program where they you know, put teachers in schools. But instead, I, I, I moved to Seoul and I originally moved to... Andong, which is, there's a song about me written by the great Josh Payton called Lower Your Standards. Wait, that's about you? The first line. This is a song about a man named O'Leary. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so. I feel, well, okay, so we're talking about a, a record that's technically on my record label. Yes. This yes. is uh, Abraham Lincoln Killing Machine. Yes, sir. 
And so the song's called Lower Your Standards. Yeah. And why is it about you? Um, I, I just Because I was talking to Josh a lot on AOL Instant Messenger at the time. And uh, I, I don't, he, he's like, how, how you doing? He's like, how was the dating scene like there? I think I'm like, well, it's kind of, kind of, kind of hard. Like I just knew in, in the giant city in Asia. And what do you do? Like uh, you go to a bar and I don't know, it's difficult. And he's like, he's just, you gotta lower your standards, man. <laughs> and the, the lyrics came out and like, yeah, my friends aren't here. Who cares? I'm in a foreign country. Josh answers, boom, boom, boom. who cares? And so I think that's the that formed the first verse, and uh, it becomes one of the most uh, kind of lewd songs that I've ever been involved with. <laughs> Not a true story, but yeah. that's okay. It's a song about it's a song about a man named O'Leary, but it's the stuff he said to O'Leary. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, I did say some of it too. I mean, we we riffed off each other, but yeah, he's a genius. That guy. He, I think he is. Yeah. Works for Apple. Yep. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's done really well for himself. I'm proud of him. And Matsuoka just uploaded, I believe, the Hurlfest or like a, a higher res version of Hurlfest. <laughs> oh, dear God. Oh, God. Although he's only ever done Hurlfest Part 1. That, by the way, that's a uh, eating competition involving Josh and Bill. And It's not an eating competition. Who else that is in it? was eaten in that. Pacey and... and things, uh, were, things were inflicted in that. Yeah. yeah, I'll try to see if I can link it, but basically this was a situation with Josh, like you were talking about, where they just emptied everything out of Bill's fridge, including spoiled items, <laughs> oh, and then they each had to take a bite, was that right? A bite or a drink? Shot. A shot out of a shot glass, yes. and it goes many, many rounds, and then you're out when you puke, yeah. and it was last man standing. These yeah. are the things and that... Josh was going shot for shot, if you remember right. Oh, he, he came in with... supplementing every single thing that we put in front of him. With a pull from a bottle of Jack Daniels. Sometimes two, I think, if, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and he had been pulling from that bottle of Jack Daniels before he even arrived. Before he showed, he also like showed up dead. with a horrible mustache. Oh yeah, <laughs> he really. I mean, he, that he, guy. He lived for his art. <laughs> <laughs> that was for the Ultramat show. Yeah. Matt Matsuoka from Token Asian, and uh, I'll I'll link it. That was going to be really something that we would all be proud of or incredibly embarrassed of, but it only there was only one episode, mm. <laughs> and that's part of it. Yeah, it it died a good death. So you went to it did. So so you went to South Korea. Yeah, and very soon into my time in South Korea, I was teaching uh, in a just what they call a hogwan is an after school. I taught with Lex Spar in the same same job. That's right, Lex Spar, who's been on this uh, podcast. Yep, yeah, one of the best coworkers you could ever hope to have. Like, yeah, yeah, she's a, she's one of the best people I know. Constantly on, but uh, constantly on. Yeah, yeah, I love Lex. Uh, what, I think uh, that's a consensus. Yeah, I don't think there's a single person out there that hates Lex. I think it's actually physically impossible. So that's a good trait to have, I guess. But anyways, uh, I, I lived I lived and worked there. And pretty soon I, I started like going on message boards. Where are, is there any punk in this town? And so there's a, a club called Skunk Hell. And I got a message from Todd Jones. And he said, yeah, if you're in Korea. You should uh, check out this guy, Kisok Saw. He's from the band The Geeks. They're the straight edge band. And so I met him and I met... Uh, this guy named uh, Victor Ha, who's the singer for Things We Say. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, they're the two main hardcore bands in town. And there's a, a hell of a lot of bands of any kind of like genre of punk. And one of the unique things about that city is is that there's so few of them that they all have to play together. And so you'd have the Geeks, which is a straight up youth crew band, playing with, uh, I don't know, uh, what's a good band? Fuckers Everywhere, which is... A, <laughs> There's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even remember because this is like going on 10 years ago. So but a lot of the bands that I didn't really like, I don't remember. But there would be metal bands too and ska bands playing together. And so eventually I get asked to join a band called Join the Circle, which is Victor's 
the singer for Things We Say, his other band where he played guitar, and it was kind of like a SSD meets uh, Outbreak kind of like fast core band. And we played a lot of shows together. We we toured to Daegu and Busan, and that was really we put out a CD. That's the last recorded chandelier you can ever find. It is. Yeah, somebody has a copy. I don't uh, think I was aware of it. I will find you a copy. And so then I was asked to play second guitar for things we say, just because I had decided to leave Korea. Mm -hmm. I had about six months left in my contract. So they said, yeah, come on, play with us for a while. So oh, fantastic. We played a bunch of shows. They were really fun bands to, to be in and some of the best people, like yeah, my best friends in Korea. Never heard a bad thing. Saw the geeks in Seattle. Yep. And Lex, you know, talked all, a lot about them, told yep. me. And, and just in our conversations outside of that, told me a lot of stories about stuff while she was there with them. Yep. And how, how just impressed she was with the whole thing. Yep. Um, and then you went to, then you went to Japan. Yeah, I came back for about uh, three months. And then, yeah, I got a job in a, a city called Kashima, which is like maybe equidistant, like Vancouver, Seattle from Tokyo. And that's uh, right on the beach. And we, uh, I got posted in an elementary school and it was our area's designated special English education uh, area where they're just trying all these kind of pilot projects to see how we can, they can boost English education in the, in the country. So they hired you know, really good teachers and paid them really, really well, which is not something that happens in Japan anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I've been there for 10 years now and uh, got married and I have a stepdaughter who's sleeping in the next room. <laughs> Because you just flew over and you're uh, jet lagged. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I woke up at three three thirty this morning. But yeah, so that's that's my life. I, I live in Japan. It's like kind of have a nine to five job. And now, is there any kind of video of you teaching? No, but there's a video of me playing the kimchi song. That's I think what I'm. That's yeah. not teaching. Well, the students that I was teaching at the, the time wrote. They wanted to write a song. So yeah. I said, well, what do we want to write a song about? Kimchi. All right. Cool. Kimchi's good, and they and like, where would you find kimchi? You'd find it in the bathroom. I'm like, okay. So I started get on the whiteboard and I start writing the lyrics down, and I started playing a sort of little folk song, and they they wrote the lyrics, they practiced it about five times, and then we recorded, it. and it's on YouTube. And that, okay, that's what we're gonna link because I definitely want people to see that. Yeah. So what? Where do you go from here? Well, I go back to Japan. Uh, this year, my wife and I are starting a business. We're gonna be hopefully opening up an English school in, in our town because I've been there so long. I'm kind of a known property and, and it's a small town, maybe 60,000 people. So most people from ages, I don't know, six to maybe 20 kind of know who I am or at least see me around. So I think, you know, that's a lot of customers and going into private teaching is a really good way to make a fair amount of money. So, and my, my wife has, her English has gotten really, really good. So she'll be doing the grammar classes and I'll be doing the, the spoken classes yeah. Cool. Yeah. And you'll be. This is. You won't be working for anybody else. You'll be working for yourself. I really hope so. Um, that's. Yeah. That's about the, about the one or two year plan is to be. You know, self employed by it. And then you'll totally be free to travel more, and you'll come home more often. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. I, I hope, hope that's actually part of the plan. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Because you've been gone a long time. I haven't seen you face to face for quite a while. Yeah. All right. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We're gonna basically finish up. Okay. So before we ask our final question, which was provided by. Our intern. You um. You said you had, you had one good fight story that you hadn't told. I love fight stories, so hit me with it. Okay. okay. I'm going to tell you one fight story that happened in Japan. In Japan? Yeah, which is a... That's a country you do not fight in because... The, the, the also, of, you've been in Japan as an adult, like a grown man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm 40, so. 46 years old. <laughs> okay, so, so let's hear this, Um. at best, 36-year-old fight story. This, fight story as a 36-year-old man. This was three years ago. 
43 <laughs> year old mad fight story yeah okay so i go to tokyo for certain things no i was actually in tokyo with you bill baker this was on the bus oh we it? haven't talked about this at all bill's been sitting here the whole time i being think our... i know this story so yeah. so bill goes to japan every once in a while yeah and the bill has actually been able to see sean over there yeah he's probably the person from back home that's seen me the most actually so uh and jeff robinson as well um so I go to meet Bill and we go on a, a like a photo walk, taking just we have cameras and we just take photos of stuff. Street photography is a really big thing over there. So. You got anything to chime in with this, Bill? He probably just agrees with me. He's shaking no, his head. No, we, even though he's sitting here. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of walking. If it was the day that I remember, it was the second visit, right? Yeah, because I wasn't with Mike. Right, you didn't have Mike with you. Yeah, so Mike was at home, and uh, let me think. Uh, so. You know, it, it, you can drink on the street in Japan. You walk around with a beer. So me and Bill are enjoying ourselves and taking photos. And then we went for barbecue with Brian Van Cleek. And it was time to go. And so I got on the bus. And, you know, I'm a little bit intoxicated. I am I can handle myself. I don't like being around in public and being that big pink dude. <laughs> so uh, I get on the bus back. To, it's about a two-hour bus ride back to my town. And uh, this young guy he's maybe 21 years old he's sitting next to me and he's got his head in his hands and he he goes into the bathroom and, and i'm like oh man what's is he okay oh crap he's visibly visibly drunk and he vomits all over my lap oh he comes back from the bathroom after like and he, he was obviously puking in the bathroom and then he, he puked all over my lap he puked all over the seat of it like a brand new bus and i'm like yo telling him in japanese you got to clean this up man come on think about it and uh, he just didn't bother. He just, eh. and I was really, really mad. <laughs> so I took the tissues that I had with me. I cleaned myself up and I was just fucking furious. And I followed him off the bus and I asked him, like, why didn't you clean up? Why didn't you clean up? You look, look at my pants. And I slapped him across the face. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and I think I slapped him another three or four times, like screaming bagayaro at him, which means you fucking stupid asshole. And then my coworker, who's a, <laughs> a a really straight laced but a black belt in judo, comes up. He's like, "Hey, man, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm fighting this guy in the street." Like, oh, hey, how are you doing, man? And like, yeah. So yeah, basically, I hit a guy three or four times. <laughs> and you, you shouldn't do that because um, yeah, I, I I definitely like cheerlead all the fighting as child stories that yeah. we tell in this podcast. But I'm gonna kind of like, what do you think about that, Sean? Uh, <laughs> probably never going to do it again because That's good well That's... the thing is assault in japan doesn't doesn't work the same way it does in canada like i could probably plead maybe plead self-defense because the guy puked on me and didn't yeah. clean up i think I, I think that wouldn't be legally binding but i think a cop would look at the situation and not decide to prosecute however in japan if you hit somebody and they get injured then the legal penalty is not so much that you go to jail that means you have to pay for their medical bills right and so you have a responsibility to that person so if i'd actually injured that guy they would have found me and done something about it. And I'm like, nah, not a good idea. So it's like the most Kansai thing you could have done to yeah. be oh, that guy. I'm sorry, Kansai? Kansai is an area of South Japan, like Osaka being the main city of Kansai. And they're known for having a different, they're different. Like Tokyo people are very, very cold and, you know, closed off. Osaka people are more, they're very much like Koreans. They're very open. They yell a lot. They drive like crazy people and they fight. And they fight. Yeah. So nice. there's actually dangerous neighborhoods in Osaka that you shouldn't go to go into. All right. Yeah. When you watch like Yakuza films and you see you hear the people that are like 
really guttural and like have the hard rolling R's and yeah. stuff like that. That's that can't cite dialect. I just imagine oh, the thing you like learn full like punch broom yakuza on this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, and also, there's another thing in, in, in our town that, that there is a fair amount of control and order that is done by the local yakuza. So if that guy had any sort of connection, that would be a very, very a bad very thing for me. Bad thing for you. So I do my best to rein in my temper these days. Good. Yeah. That's good. But the guy puked on me, so fuck. I mean, honestly, I kind of understand. <laughs> puked on you. He clearly wasn't in, in, in a good in a good state, and it sounds like you were not either. Yeah. So. Okay, so um, I got one more. We're going to ask one question, it's like punk rock question, or Good. maybe not, depending on how you want to answer the question, and then we're going to call it a day, Good. Um, and I'm going to take this home and edit it and be thrilled. <laughs> Drive back to Seattle from Vancouver. Right. So uh, oh, this is a question that was provided by our intern, uh, and it, it, this one might be difficult. you got to really think about it. All right. All right. Tell me one punk record, so it is about punk, that you wished you played on and one that you wish you could erase from history. Number one, Dag Nasty, can I say? That's a good answer, man. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a record that, the, that I would walk around playing it from start to finish in my underwear. Dave no. Smalley, or... I, and I probably have 150,000 times. <laughs> you said would, but you mean, you meant to say I have. have. Yeah, well, okay. I mean, if there was a guitar here and, you know, if there weren't people here, I might do that. Or if You'd strip was... down and play? Possibly. Dave Smalley or Sean Brown, though? I don't like Sean Brown. Well, can I say that it's the... Right, but I mean... The recorded version is, I mean, the as released, right? Yeah, that, that is one. Of, that's a pivotal record in in me as, as a as a like a songwriter and a guitar player. Brian Baker is my favorite guitar player. Okay. Uh, the one I would erase from history. Dear God. I don't think that. I don't think that way. I think that everything in punk rock and hardcore is uh, like I'm his. I'm a history buff. I think that it. it so if it, even it, the it, bad you'd keep. If it's part of the re- if it's part of the historical record, even things that sound like shit, it, it's an indication of the time, right? Like so, for example, um, what's an example? Uh, like Biohazard record. I hate the way they sound, but like there's something very very important about the, about the way Biohazard sounds and what the lyrical content and I don't know, like something that's on Gravity Records also sounds like shit, but it's important for that time. So if it, like, this is essentially a history podcast, man. Like so. You don't want to erase something from history. It just completely goes away. So, so would your argument then be that if you erase things that are bad, you then lose context absolutely. for the good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, for a reason. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a weird question. I just pointed out today that the New Straight Edge book by Tony Rettman, page 295, verifies everything I ever said about Earth Crisis. Destroy the machines in my well okay man i don't know how that last section that we just went through is mm. actually going to edit up if people if there's an abrupt cut and you missed the punchline that's just what you get for not being here yep. like there's a live version and then there's the recorded version and you all get the recorded version please so. don't let the basement tapes get out no well i'll always have the originals so, brother man, thank you so much for coming and doing this. Oh, we hit the mic, but that's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talked. I told you a couple of years ago I was going to get you on this podcast if there had to be a way. And I'm glad I didn't have to fly to Japan to do it. Well, you're always welcome. Well, it, it could happen at some point. I could see it happening, but I didn't think I was going to be able to, you know, drag this equipment over there. I could always buy my own. Oh, are you going to start a podcast? I've talked about it with a buddy of mine, but into it. Let's do it. Yeah. I'll post you up on the Nobody's Knows Network. 
rock and roll if you want all right bud it's good to see you man absolutely i'll talk to you later you too well there it is I was very happy to be able to finally get to sit down with Sean after so many years of him being out of the country. And that was a really good time. It was also great to have Bill there. So, corrections. We do have to do some corrections. We completely screwed up on the name of that Canadian TV show where they did trades. On It wasn't online because there was no online at the time. So basically kids could call in or people could call in and trade, you know, records and CDs. And <laughs> They didn't have CDs, records and eight tracks and cassettes. Um, and, and like Sean said, you know, puzzles. <laughs> that show was not called 321 Contact. 321 Contact was a science-based show like Sean figured out while we were recording, but we never did figure out what the show was called, and we have come to the conclusion that it was called Switchback. So in the links, we've gone ahead and linked some Switchback. I wasn't able to find anyone actually doing trades. For whatever reason, I haven't found anyone who has put any of that stuff from Switchback up on YouTube. There's no full episode stuff. There's just little clips, and sometimes it's contests or giveaways that they did. But I do remember the set, and I do remember the guy. It was definitely Switchback. The other thing is when we were talking about the Canadians that came down to film the rumble scene at Edge of Quarrel, I said Canadian Contingency, which isn't the correct way to say that. It should be Canadian Contingent. It's just a little thing I caught while I was editing. Maybe no one would even catch that. Maybe it's even correct, but I, yeah, I think it's Contingent. So Canadian Contingent. And that's pretty much it. Um, there's some strange technical difficulty stuff near the end of the episode. Uh, voices slow down and speed up and go backwards that is not a mistake that was uh that was intended um i don't have much else you know what can i say uh thank you for listening and please keep listening there's more coming please give this a a positive review on itunes or wherever you listen to it but i think itunes is really the best place to go five stars would just be amazing share it with people you know share it on social media whichever form of social media you're happy with but the more people hear this the more that i can do you know the more time i can spend on this instead of other projects and for real mcgregor hauling and removal if you're in the northwest anywhere and you have a job like that you know tell them that you heard it here and that might become more of a regular thing with us and they're an awesome company run by friends so that's what we like to support that's what i like to do that's kind of what this is all about so Until next time, thank you, and, you know, I appreciate you listening. This podcast is a product of the Nobody Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph from the album Artifacts, Demos and Debris. Wah, wah.